If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu Tang Clan. And this week, I have a special guest, as always, Andrew Ramondi, back on the podcast as we break down the Western Conference um, preview for the NBA as the season is set to get underway um, this week. So, Andrew, welcome back on the pod. And honestly, like, we've talked the last week about the Eastern Conference, (laughs) but the podcast, for whatever reason, is not up. Do you want to kind of, like, give a quick summary as to what ended up happening? Yeah, so, I mean, we'd never had any sort of technical glitches recording these podcasts on the phone or whatever. Um, If I wanted to turn it around on you, I'd be like, well, I always, we should be recording over Zoom, Kevin. Um, But now, obviously, (laughs) um, (laughs) that's just my, like, absolute fucking uh, dickhole nature, just, like, can never take blame for anything. No, man. So we were doing this nice, um, it just, it, it's really a shame. It, it kind of is, although it is fun to talk to you about basketball and that's first and foremost, why I like to do this podcast in general. So it's, it, it's not the worst thing in the world, but, um, anyway, so last Sunday we kind of, we, and it's so funny also, cause we've done these podcasts. I feel like this was our first year where we separated them and did them with some sort of like good plan also for like getting everything in before the season started. Yeah. Um, lined but, up the uh, timeline and everything. Yeah, exactly. So we were like, Oh, let's do, we'll do the Eastern conference like preview to a week before the season. And then we'll do the Western conference five preview right before the season starts. So it gets to like last Sunday night, like, we do this leisurely two-hour podcast. Like, I'm drinking b- b- Korean liquor during it. Like, we're doing all this stuff. We established probably five recurring bits um, during the podcast. <laughs> um, and then, like, about – and then it turned out that apparently – not apparently, because it did happen. So, about 40 minutes probably into the podcast, as we're talking about the Brooklyn Nets – I get a call from a coworker, a very nice coworker call, just kind of giving me an, an update for something we're doing tomorrow, Monday at work. I don't pick it up uh, when it flashes up on my screen. I just hang up on him. But we, I think something about getting that call and must have made my end of the recording like stop or something like that. So I guess when you went back to listen to it later, uh, pretty much all of our basketball analysis has been lost to time. So um, if you guys are interested in knowing our opinions on the Eastern conference, like we'll probably go through some of the big highlights real quick before we start. But like, if you wanted to know our opinion about um, the Charlotte Hornets or our, our names for Blake Griffin stand up, potential stand up comedy special, um, your SOL. Sorry. Yeah, it's uh, it was, really unfortunate because we you i I feel like we missed a golden um korean snack corner with uh the maku last week uh the korean beverage that andrew was referring to and we had like five of those bits that were just 
I felt like we hit hit some. Home it was runs gold. There. It was a new. Yeah. It was a new. It was a new. It was really a lot of people would were saying like you know who were there but but haven't heard it that this was us really hitting our peak. So um, unfortunately that will be lost to time. But you know. Um, as a Blazer fan, you know, there are those Greg Oden types where, or maybe even those, actually, it's more like the Brandon Roy type, Brandon I would Roy. say, where yeah. like, there was a brief flash of, brief flash of greatness, but you just never really knew what, uh, you never, you wonder what they would have been had they been allowed to, you know, reach their full potential. So everyone can pour out a little bit, a little bit for that. But, um, you know, Hey man, the season starts tomorrow, so uh, it's pretty crazy. this will kind of be a fun. The Western Conference has a lot more, I think, to be to be to be. I think not just um, hindsight twenty twenty. I think I said it at the time, but the Western Conference has a little bit more top to bottom intrigue anyway. So if like one had to be lost to time, like we will have plenty of opportunity to talk about like the Nets. I'm sure as the season goes on and stuff like that. Um, I'm sure we'll hit hit a couple quick things, but but you know we're we're still doing the thing, and I'm I'm excited about it. Totally agree. So Andrew, before we actually get into our uh, version of uh, the NBA previews, um, I was thinking maybe we could kind of hit some quick hitters off the top in terms of just sure. ex- extension news that ended up coming out this past week that we haven't been able to talk about. Um, so obviously the big one is Giannis, um, getting signed to the massive extension. Um, and I think that was a surprise. Um, well, maybe not a surprise, but something, something that I think other people around the league maybe weren't expecting just so, you know, if, if you're Miami Heat fans or, or fans of other teams that were hoping Giannis would leave Milwaukee, um, that ended up not happening. So he ended up re-signing, and then uh, Rudy Gobert ends up re-signing um, with the uh, Utah Jazz um, for that massive uh, $200 million extension as well. Not the max, like you said. He left money on the table, but it was $200 million. So... Any thoughts on those guys signing extensions at all? Yeah, of course we have to talk about Giannis's extension because I, it's it's a huge deal and kind of funny. I guess if we had posted that Eastern Conference thing, the only other the only team you would have you heard us talk about was the Bucks, and I think I um I took the Bucks first in our kind of we'll probably have to re-explain the format because we didn't yeah post we'll the conference it. Yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. But in our kind of draft format, I took the Bucks first in the Eastern Conference, and we spent a lot of time talking about the potential for Giannis to extend or not extend and how it would impact the season. And I mean, I'll just frame it this way: like I think if you're a Bucks fan or like me, someone who predicted the Bucks to kind of continue that streak of dominance in the East. Although I said then, and I will still say now that I don't expect them to be quite the juggernaut. They were uh, in prior years for a number of reasons, you know, that their diminished depth among other things. And, you know, the fact that I just think that act has less and less resonance to, to them and to their fans as time goes on. But I will say, I feel like if you're, if you're a Milwaukee fan or a Milwaukee executive or or Giannis yourself, 
it's lifting a big black cloud off of your life that, you know, he had never really had that kind of negative energy follow and negative isn't quite the right word, but he had never quite had that uncertainty hanging over him in his, in his kind of a very illustrious, although maybe not in the postseason, but overall very, as you mentioned on our last podcast, I mean, back to back, I mean, did MVPs or, you know, that's, that's a pretty, pretty rare feat. Um, Anyway, but I guess I'm being a little bit long-winded here, but but I think it's going to be a plus to that team to not have to worry about the um, the kind of free agency question lingering over the season. And like it's a historic, at least in the modern NBA, it's a historic moment because you know when you think about all the superstars that have gotten moved in this modern iteration of the NBA. Like Giannis has at least for a few years, like as time, I think Zach Lowe always brings this up where like you can always sign in the Supermax doesn't preclude you from demanding a trade down the line, but at least in the short term, like he committed himself to this, to this small market franchise. And, you know, I'm always a guy who appreciates that. I, I think players should obviously be allowed to do what they want to do and what makes them happy. But like, you know, He's on his way to kind of being one of those one of those one team figures, and and that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I I think that's the the big thing that I got out of that from you is he is kind of going against the grain of what most of these superstar NBA players um, have been doing over the pro- probably over since uh, I mean the big one is when. I think LeBron kind of started started all off uh, with the decision um, going to Miami the first time um, from Cleveland, and I think since then it's kind of ushered in this new era of of players being able to move around wherever they want, which I think they should be entitled to do. Um, but this kind of goes back to the previous era of wanting to stay with one team um, like a Dirk or like a Kobe type of thing. And I mean, it's not like Kobe or Dirk didn't have second thoughts of moving later on in their career. And Kobe was kind of like, I mean, there, there are rumors throughout his career about him getting traded um, early on. So it's not like, there those questions weren't there but Giannis committing himself to that small market like you like you're talking about is really rare to see and I think that's really cool to see for Milwaukee Bucks fans um just to be able to have uh the the assurance that all right we have Giannis and uh he's going to give us an opportunity to compete in the Eastern Conference for at least a couple years um, and hopefully a lot longer, and hopefully he's he stays there for their for his whole career. Um, so that's I think that's like the reassuring thought for a lot of Milwaukee fans, and it justifies a lot of the other moves uh, the front of office course. was was making uh, this off season uh, with Drew Holiday uh, trading all those picks. Now it seems like okay that risk at the time seems like it's paid off. Um, and it's kind of mitigated how uh, valuable those first round picks could be in the future just because yeah. Giannis looks like he's staying around. 
Yeah, and that was something I said at the time when the trade happened, that I thought we have kind of, the NBA nerddom has fallen in love with, you know, these crusty moves and, like, accumulating all these first-round picks and, you know, the idea of giving up the mother load for someone as, you know, a great player, but sort of as marginal as a great player gets in the NBA for Drew Holiday. But, yes, I always but once that you have Giannis in the fold, it kind of makes it all worth it. And I, I just wanted to do, I did want to say before we move on, kind of to approach things from, from the, I guess the, not negative, but sort of the other side of things, you know, Giannis committing himself to the Milwaukee Bucks means that if the Milwaukee Bucks are going to ever get over that hump and be a championship team, uh, it's going to be on his shoulders, right? Like, it doesn't appear to me like there, unless the unless the Bucks, you know, draw in a, in free agency. You know, Giannis is able to be an incredible recruiter and bring someone, you know, of a quality higher than say Drew Holiday to Milwaukee. Any championship team is going to be, you know, what I mean. It's going the. I guess I'll frame it this way: the the kind of cracks in his game or if if you want to phrase it another way just the you know the inability of these bucks teams to kind of adapt or you know kind of flourish in in the nba playoff setting like that growth has to come from within now it's not going to come from him teaming up with another superstar or you know being the world's great whether that be being the world's greatest number two or you know say joining a team like Milwaukee where you're you're 1A or you're 2 and 2B are you know going to be marketedly better than than what you were dealing with in Milwaukee so you know that's going to be an interesting like seeing if they can break he and and the Milwaukee Bucks can break out of that cast and uh, conversely if we get a few years down the line and that doesn't happen what the narrative will be and what the next steps will be is, is going to be fascinating to watch. But I think me and you are both are both pretty happy with 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 the outcome overall. Um, right. Did right. you have anything to add to that, or you want to? You no, wanna no. Tee you up with the yeah, with like, the Gobert extension. So I yeah. mean, something we were talking about, and I think this has been a recurring theme in kind of this off season analysis, whether it be the Drew Holiday. Uh, trade or some of these some of these bloated contracts um I feel like something we've kind of said a lot this off season is that like we've judged like well this isn't the objectively best thing to do but we understand why this particular team did it and maybe we don't see the better realistic option for them given their circumstances and I feel like that is kind of the case here with with Rudy Gobert and the Jazz um is that is do you feel that way or do you feel feel differently no I think I'm along the same lines with you but it's just like at a certain point and I think you and we kind of came to an agreement when we were texting back and forth once the news came out was 40 million dollars for an NBA center nowadays is yeah. just a really tough pill to swallow at the end yeah. of the day. And that's the hard thing about this roster construction uh, thing that I feel bad 
about for NBA GMs in terms of like they have this tough problem of being of of getting to a certain point with the roster that they've con- uh, currently constructed, and there's a certain cap. Uh, you know, for example, this Utah team. It seems like they're at max probably a second round um like second round and if they like have everything fall right maybe make an appearance in the conference finals type of team but it doesn't seem like there's much room for growth and with Gobert getting 40 million now it just seems like it they've they're going to limit a little bit more of their flexibility as much as you want to hear about him giving up. I would say, I think it was like 20 million less than what he could have got in terms of the max um, to give uh, the roster some flexibility. It's, it's still a ton of money for a center that to me hasn't proven offensively that he can stay on the floor enough where he might be able to be schemed off the floor in in playoff moments. Yeah, that's 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 a fair um that's a that's a fair assessment. It's kind of funny. We were having this tangential and I really like Rudy Gobert first and foremost and like I under, if I were a Jazz fan, I think I would have probably wanted this to happen um and my my friend Gerald shout out to him I know a very loyal listener on 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 the um a very loyal listener of the podcast kind of had the idea kind of said to me that like you know listen when you're the Utah Jazz and you have a chance to I to lock I'm paraphrasing but to make it kind of fit my vein more but when you have the chance to kind of lock down two all-stars um even if they're fringe all-stars or, you know, to all NBA caliber, all NBA adjacent type players, um, that's what you're going to do. Like uh, you don't, especially with Donovan Mitchell on your team, the idea of letting Rudy Gobert, you know, walk, I mean, for whatever they're apparent, you would think this extension being signed means that their relationship has in some way been repaired since you know we could spiral off on the COVID thing and Rudy Gobert's place and legacy as it pertains to that but probably not not worth doing but you know I it's hard to hard to see another way out but but at the same time um when we were talking the other day we were kind of having this conversation about the idea of the most overrated players in the league I think given Gobert's contract now, he is in that running. And it's like you said, though, it's purely uh, I think me and you both feel the same way that centers in this league should not be paid that amount unless they're, you know, like an Anthony Davis type where they're, you know, their athleticism is, is so off the charts that that they're able to kind of kind of do it all in the way a player by like Rudy Gobert just, just functionally can. But you know what, you know, I, I, it reminds me of like when CJ McCollum's extension, big extension was signed, like this is probably going to be a contract that looks bad down the road, but you know, I understand the idea of, um, of kind of, of kind of rolling with, with, with what's been working. And I think a team like, like the jazz, much like, my beloved Trailblazers are the majority of teams in the NBA. 
outside of those, you know, in the, in the very top tier, your goal is to, you know, keep the, keep a good team together as much as you can find your shots to improve on the margins, whether that be, you know, unfortunately the Mike Conley trade hasn't seemed to like work out particularly well so far, but be it like a trade like that, be it hitting on a draft pick, be it getting lucky with some injuries to other teams, you know, uh, to kind of stay solid and find that, that one shining moment uh, as it were. So I, I think that's what the jazz are, um, are, are trying to do here. And although, yeah, it's not the, the, the sexy thing from, from the analysis perspective. And I know you mentioned, uh, you mentioned this idea of like, you know, you, you always look back on these things and say like, well, they should have traded him a year ago or whatever. I will say Gobert is one where like, I'm not quite sure if I buy that, that, that idea, because I, I think he's just an odd, an odd player. Like in that, like, I don't know what you're, tr- who are you trading him for to get the value that kind of makes up for all that, for all that intangible stuff I mentioned to, to a franchise like the jazz, especially given that like they're going to be under new ownership and, and, uh, and what have you. Um, the, the one thing I right, will say, right. I'm literally just spilling out all my guts and then you can react to all of it. But it's also, I think the idea that like, oh, he didn't take the super max, like out of the goodness of his heart is kind of an interesting one because I would love to see the counterfactual, like if Rudy Gobert had demanded the super max and said, I'm not going to sign anything but the super max, would that have pushed the jazz to kind of that, you know, rock hard place moment where where you can't bring yourself to swallow it i think that will always be a kind of fascinating question but um yeah that's yeah, yeah. that's pretty much all the takes i got no no i think that makes a lot of sense in terms of like if they're put in that position the and i'm saying there as in the utah jazz were put in that situation where rudy's like hey give me the supermax <laughs> Um, are they really not going to sign him to the Supermax? Like, it just seems like you're paying this guy 40 mil. Like, I feel like they probably would have done it. Um, and it to me, it's just kind of interesting. Let's say he hits free agency, like what he would have gotten on the, in the open market. Um, and I, I'm not exactly sure. Obviously, you wouldn't approach the 200 million just because, um, you know, your old, your old team or um, your current team can sign you to more years, more money. Um, but I wonder, like, how close to the max he would have gotten on the open market. Um, that, yeah, that would that have would, also would, been, like, an, a really interesting, like... Can you think Can you think of another team that would have, like, really shelled out for him? I can think of one in my head, but it's, like, purely going off of just the team, not cap space at all. Um, no, I'm not really. If the 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 Charlotte Hornets seem like a team mm. that like in a like uh, in another world where like they hadn't signed Gordon Hayward or something like that, I could see them being the team that kind of falls in love with them. But other than that, like really not not much, right? Like I really yeah. can't think of of anyone it else been who would. Yeah. So um. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's- it's just tough. It would have been really interesting to kind of see. So that's like kind of like all the things that, you know, these front offices have to deal with in terms of weighing all these options. Now, 
today was deadline day in terms of extensions that needed to get in by 6 p.m. And uh, I don't know about you, but I was kind of following Woj's tweets uh, that he was he was putting out there in terms of who signed what, which players, which players on rookie deals were going to be signing extensions. To me, there were some interesting figures and some interesting players that were associated with that figure that maybe for maybe has kind of shifted my perspective in like, oh, okay, maybe that level of production now is worth that level of money that maybe my scale has not updated to that to to that level. So Meaning, I'll throw out a couple of numbers for you and players. And um, obviously, I would say most of these guys got overpaid. Uh, yeah. But I just want to hear, like, maybe a couple, like, thoughts from you in terms of, like, what some of these guys got paid. Sure. Um, I'm interested to see who you say, because I only really can think of one extension that I that I remember from, from this crop. So, so hit me. Okay. So, so obviously, uh, to, so today, Luke Kennard agrees to a four-year deal with the Clippers for sixty-four million dollars. Jesus. Okay. No, that's awful. That's really bad. <laughs> so I, I mean, yeah, that, that's okay, the type but, of but money that I guess thrown around. Yeah. No. That. But Kuzma's like three years forty. So I think. So yep, three years forty. So 464 by that metric is objectively bad because I feel like the number for Kuzma is about right because that, but we, I agree with the, we have to recalibrate type thing because, um, because like Kuzma, for example, like that's not starter money in the NBA anymore. 340. That's like how, how much a year is that? I guess like, I think there's like a poison pill third year, but it's, you know, a little more than 12 a year, like maybe 13 a year. Uh, so that, I guess that like, that basically means like, that's like, if that's high bench money, like 14, 15, 17 is now like starter money. But I don't think Luke Kennard deserves starter money yet. Right. Right. For so. teams that it, it's just, it's just interesting. They made that trade for Shamit who, uh, where they traded Shamit in that three-team deal to the Nets and and Kennard from the Pistons goes to the Clippers and I I don't know I I it's interesting that they've seen 16 million dollars worth of production out of him per year for the next four years which is I yeah. I don't know so that's kind of fascinating I that caught me off guard how about uh uh so the Magic ended up signing two guys. Uh, Markel Fultz, three years, $50 million. Who would have thought he would have gotten a second deal after, you know, the first half of his career um, with all his shoulder problems? They didn't even know what to diagnose him with, but he ends up getting a three-year, $50 million deal from Orlando. And Orlando also uh, dishes out a four-year, $80 million extension to Jonathan Isaac. So any reactions to both of those? Those do sound, those do, I mean, once we set the the curve, I think those sound about right. Um, I would have to look, I'd be interested to see, I think I would need to see, uh, so 350, I just put it up, put you at what, like 18 or so, somewhere in that range, 17 17. or 18. 
17. I'd have to see kind of like what the average starting NBA point guard in the league makes, but he's what, like probably like a, a low end starting point guard. Like probably if we ranked all the starting point guards in the league, he'd be around like 25 or so. Would you, would you agree? Probably around that range. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that does seem about right. Isaac's a tough one because Isaac, I think he's, close to worth that if you kind of factor in that like kind of what he was doing prior to the injury but with the injury in mind um it's it's a little tough for me I mean we talked about this kind of Orlando discussion we had got lost time but I think me and you both kind of our our predominant feeling is is one of sort of confusion slash apathy of this kind of idea of like what is their they're kind of caught between two two things like too good to be bad and kind of too bad to ever really be good plus kind of just like no real way to like change their cast of characters very much save for maybe deciding to trade Aaron Gordon and Vucevic but like at this point given that you've you've doled out those contracts why would you now turn around and even – I don't even see why you would, like, go and trade Aaron Gordon and Vucevic because, I mean, Fulton and, and I guess, and Isaac are young enough where they, they could be part of a rebuild. But but I guess you're – I don't know. I guess that's the only – I guess as I'm talking more, I like it if you're going to – if you're committing to a rebuild around them and now you just have them under lock and key and you're like – we're rolling with these two guys and we're going to try and build for their, for their timeline. Although I wonder how much better each, either of them are really getting. I, I think they can improve, mm. but I don't think either of them are ever going to be franchise cornerstones. Um, so I, I couldn't think of a good, I'm, I'm trying to think of a graceful way to rewind all that up. I guess it's kind of one of those things. Like I don't necessarily mind it in isolation, but take it together. It makes you wonder what the, what the what the point is right right and i I mean yeah i i just think with all the news that's come out today about these extensions it's i've kind of had to step back and be like all right i need to recalibrate how much money is associated with like low-end starter money and like also like bench guy that is a sixth man or seventh man in the rotation type of guy because i feel like all my values are out of whack and I, I like for me, I can just be like, this guy's well, all these guys are overpaid. I guess so, we'll like, also see. We'll also see. I mean, it'll be interesting in the next couple years with with kind of the cap situation and how it how it impact how it reacts to COVID. I guess time will only tell if this was indeed the new normal or if this was like a more 2016 esque blip where people kind of just misjudged how much money there actually was um so that that that's kind of just something i want to put a pin in into as, as it as it pertains to your point but but you're probably more likely than not correct where like this is just this is just the scale and uh we're gonna have to calibrate to it yeah and, and just two other names to throw out there ananobi signed the four-year deal um yeah. with the raptors for seven seventy two million. And then Derek White with the Spurs, four years, seventy-three million. So, so that's I mean that's it. Yeah, that's that's so starter money is four seventy-two basically based on mm-hmm. that. I mean, Kennard is obviously the worst contract out of all of those. Um, 
the fact that like I don't even like the fact that Derek White and Luke Kennard even are making the same amount of money to me is is a little like you know what I mean. At least Derek White's like I uh, uh, I I guess he's not even a solid starter, but if he's a fringe starter, Luke Kennard is a more than a fringe. I don't know what's more than a fringe. Like when girls in middle school used to cut like their their shirt to like make it kind of like wavy and that kind of fringe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of, it's just interesting to kind of see the landscape of um, extensions and like how much of this money is getting uh, thrown around here. And like me kind of, me kind of reevaluating, oh, I guess this is what, you know, 16 to $18 million is probably like fifth starter type of money at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is which is fascinating because you I think they'll they'll try to I, I think they're gonna try to tune like it people are gonna really try to fine tune like how they're gonna be able to find talent outside of this in terms yeah. of like how do we get a guy for ten million dollars that can be our fifth starter? I think that's gonna yeah. be like the new like the new guy that hopefully they can get like that can overperform their contract. Obviously. Well, it's kind seems... of... Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Because I, I was just in my blazery mind. I was thinking of, well, I was thinking of two things. One, I was going to say it probably makes the rookie scale um, contract even more valuable. Right. Like getting a guy who can kind of play right away and is like that. Like Kyle Kuzma, for example, was making three point five million prior to prior to this extension kicking in. Like that makes it, that's even more of a value when you know your average NBA player is getting now going to be getting paid between twelve and and sixteen million dollars. Um, there's definitely more of a chasm in terms of value in that respect. And uh, right, right. I just wanted to note that a guy who did not get extended and will be entering uh, restricted free agency is Zachary, one Zachary Collins. And a yep. kind of next step from this will also be to see is the restricted free agent market as um, I don't really know what the what the money situation in this upcoming free agency period looks like. I'm, I think there's a lot, a lot to be had. And especially with no Giannis, we're probably waiting towards players getting overpaid. But it'll be interesting to see if restricted free agency is is pretty much this redux, or if maybe teams are willing to put in. <clears throat> sorry, I ate a gigantic pint of ice cream before I got on this, um, and now my throat's a little goobly. But um, if teams are going to be willing to put on more of a, a squeeze, or if it's basically Zach Collins is going to just end up getting that same amount of money through through a different means. We, we shall see. I, I think people are searching up or Googling goobly right now in terms of your <laughs> your use of the... It's when you eat dairy and, like, it makes your voice a little bit deeper because, like, it's coating your throat. But, ew, that's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you want to know a fun, a fun fact I learned... That. People are clipping a, that as we speak. A fun, uh, just a fun fact I learned. That. A fun yep. fact I learned recently. Just, just quick. I mean, we're going to probably this podcast is going to be three hours at this rate. But do you know where Hagen Dazs ice cream was started? No, I don't. I have no idea. The Bronx. 
they just chose oh, Hagen Dazs wow. because it was like a foreign sounding name. It, it's not foreign or like European in any respect. I learned I that recently. Thought it was, yeah, I thought it was from like the Netherlands or something yeah, like that. Exactly. If I had to guess. All right. Yeah. Hagen Dazs providing me with the gooblies since you know, 1847 or whatever. All right, let's get into this damn draft, dude. Um, Yeah, let's do uh, it. Um, Let's frame it this way. I think I can do a good job of, I think I can do a good job of setting it up. Well, maybe hitting on a couple things and then you can just extrapolate a little bit um, because I I have it pulled up. Um, So for anyone, for anyone who's never listened to this particular podcast before, and I don't know how many there are, but this is our third consecutive year, and we'll skip the oh, how long have we been doing this, Kevin, because we <laughs> did that already and it got lost to time. Um, but this is our third year of previewing the regular season, and the way we've done it years, and we're going to continue doing it here, is by, by doing a draft format. We take the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. One of us gets the first pick in the East. I did and took the Milwaukee Bucks in, in the Eastern Conference. And one of us takes the takes the first pick in the West, which you will have momentarily. And we go back and forth drafting teams snake style. And then the with the aim of getting the most regular season wins. Um, and I always think that's an important thing to point out. We are trying to basically predict, you know, the – Basically, your goal is to predict the standings in, in the in the best in the in the best way possible. Um, we like to talk, obviously, about championship contention, but it's important to mention, you know, that this ostensibly results in in kind of teams being valued in different ways because regular season wins are worth more. Um, I'll I'll recap the picks in the East. Um, I had the Milwaukee Bucks number one, and I'm pretty happy with that. Um, as we will, I, I think once we get into the West, I just, the re, my rationale was that I just believe it's a much easier choice at the top of the East than the top of the West. Um, so I took the Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Indiana Pacers, the Washington Wizards, the Chicago Bulls, the Detroit Pistons, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. You took the Brooklyn Nets, number two, who I will note that we both had number two, um, I, I believe we both just feel that they have kind of the highest ceiling of any of these remaining teams and maybe the best chance of winning the, the conference um, other than the Milwaukee Bucks, although I'm, I could certainly see them underachieving. Um, you took the Brooklyn Nets, the Miami Heat, the Toronto Raptors, um, the Atlanta Hawks, the Orlando Magic, the Charlotte Hornets, and the New York Knickerbockers. Um, was there anything else you wanted to kind of, kind of recap? It's, it's, it's a shame that this is, this has kind of been lost time. I think eventually we'll get a chance to talk about the Nets soon. I kind of feel bad for robbing you. Do you want to just hit your three minute Nets preview since I'm going to get a chance to talk about the Blazers and you won't? So let me talk about the Nets. Like we'll, we'll, Throughout the season, we'll be getting to, like, pretty much every one of these teams, maybe with the exception of, like, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, this may be the last time. We may be saying farewell to the Cleveland Cavaliers for for the rest of the season after yeah, that yeah. may be the last time the word Cavaliers is said, but there's enough, you know, where, where we'll probably get to some of it. And of course we'll be checking in on, on our, our favorite teams most of all. So I, 
I don't, I'm sure the Nets will, will continue to be talked about, but I, but I do think it's only fair that, that your kind of preseason impressions of this team are preserved for posterity in, in some way, shape or form. Right. So I'll hit the Nets points in terms of Katie's returning Kyrie, whether or not they can coexist is probably the biggest thing um, on a lot of people's minds on a lot of Nets fans minds. And, you know, after watching some of the preseason games, you, there's a couple things you like to see. Katie, you know, no one got hurt. Thankfully, Katie looked fairly decent. His first basket as a net in the preseason was kind of shot faking, blowing by a guy and going up for a dunk. So that was nice to see and see him return um, and see him play basketball after almost like a year and a half of of yeah of not playing um a competitive basketball game so that that was nice to see um but that's probably the biggest question and whether or not there's gonna be um the coaching staff in place to give these guys success um and be able to help them succeed steve nash is the first time head coach he has a pretty <clears throat> decent staff in around him that's supporting him that has experience uh mike d'antoni's there um being able to like you know see whether or not it's it's gonna all be able to work out um and whether or not like what type of coach is steve nash gonna be is that's to me gonna be fairly interesting just being a nets fan um and whether or not they can stay healthy is the biggest thing and whether or not there are enough minutes involved uh, for all these players. It just seems like they can go 11, 12 deep. Um, I think their deep roster is super appealing to a lot of these uh, people that are making uh, these preview podcasts or making picks in terms of who they like for the season. But I think that's one of the things in this coronavirus era where a deep roster is going to be really helpful just in case a couple of these guys like end up having COVID um, just not being able to step right in and not, ha not really miss a beat. So they, they go really deep here. And I just, that's the tension at play to me, whether or not the young, the younger guys slash the guys that had come in through the Atkinson era, like Harris Levert, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie are able to coexist with guys that are the new guard that they pretty much brought in to make this team a championship contender like Kyrie, like KD. Uh, you could throw in um, uh, DeAndre Jordan in there. Uh, Torian Prince was kind of brought in as well. So I wonder how this team actually coalesces and becomes a team. So that's, that's like my three minutes like, sure. yeah no that. no that yeah. was a good one and let me try and give my 30 second version of my of my take because I can't help myself and I think I can make a piggyback off of your point I will just also just add a thing I first and foremost I'm excited to see Kevin Durant play again especially outside of the Warriors system because although he was certainly an efficient and incredible MVP candidate caliber player on the Warriors you know, that that system kind of restricted him or he had to play differently in that system. And I'm interested to see what what Kevin Durant 
looks like in the year 2020-2021 kind of outside of that Warriors system because it's been quite a while. And, you know, as a corollary to that, what system the Nets actually have in place to, to allow KD and Kyrie to coexist. And to your point about the young guys, I'd just go a step further than that and also say if I were a Nets fan, I'd be a little worried especially if you're a Nets fan who loves this this culture and the team they've built, I'd be I'd wonder what's going to happen if the young guys aren't clicking and there's a little bit of a gap between KD and Kyrie and the rest of them. Is this a team that's willing to be a Clippers deep team with two superstars kind of and everyone else orbiting around them? Or is this a team that's going to get anxious to make some sort of consolidation trade, whether that be for James Harden or someone else? So um, those are things I'll be watching as as we get as we get into the season as well. Yeah, I I think that's pretty much well said. It's it's and yeah, we'll get into the James Harden stuff when we get to Houston. But I think that's the the one thing to look out for whether or not one of these pieces becomes available, where the Nets decide, okay, these young guys aren't real necessarily fitting in with KD and Kyrie. We're gonna trade trade that package them and trade them for for a guy. Uh, whether that be Harden, Beal uh, might be a possibility. I don't know if that with the Westbrook stuff, but uh, we'll see as to whether or not that happens. But with all that being said. Um, so I've just gotten yep. a phone call. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, let's let's <laughs> yep, do it. Now. It was so literally probably all... exactly this portion that we cut off last time. But exactly. uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Let's get into so, it, man. So with all that being said, you did a great job of summarizing who picked who in the Eastern Conference. I am leading off the Western Conference uh, with the first pick. I'm actually, and this might be a cha- like this might be a changeup for some people, um, just because of how they went out last year. I'm going with the Clippers. Um, yeah, that's who I, I would have taken first too, for the record. Westgate has them at 45 and a half wins below the LA Lakers by one game, but um, right. I, I would have taken them as well. Go ahead. Um, so just to reiterate, like you did so wonderfully about five to 10 minutes ago, this is a regular season exercise. And I think a little bit of my thinking kind of went into that when choosing between, I think there are uh, two logical uh, picks to kind of make. And maybe if you want it to be kind of this dark horse, a uh, guy could have taken Denver, but um, my reasoning is I I think the Lakers are gonna not not that they might start like slow necessarily. I just think they might take it a little bit easier coming out of the gate just because of how long of a playoff run they had in the finals, um, and I think they might be just taking a, a little bit more precautions in terms of rest. Um, earlier on in the season and understanding, oh, okay, this is a championship team um, and we don't have to necessarily put our foot on the gas pedal um, towards the beginning of the season. We kind of know what this team can do. Whereas the Clippers, I think, are going to come out and have something to prove, especially coming out after last year, new head coach in Tyron Lue. um, He was on the staff last year, but maybe he takes it in a new direction with Rivers gone. Um, 
some uh, Paul George ending up signing a, um, a uh, an extension uh, with the Clippers this season. So I, I, I wonder if a lot of these guys are going to be motivated uh, to come out and really perform this year, especially after the kind of shocking exit they ended up having in that game seven last year, or if there's going to be some mental hangover type of stuff. And there was a lot of, and maybe we could get, I don't know if you want to get into like the TMZ, like he said, she said all this type of stuff on Twitter and like the subtweeting and things like that was, that was going on uh, with, uh, the Clippers and like the team chemistry and everything, but it did seem a little weird this off season with, um, you know, some of the free agency moves that ended up happening with Harold leaving for the, pretty much their biggest rival in the Lakers. Uh, it didn't seem like there was much harmony there in the, in the locker room last season. I don't know what your feel on it on it was but the Clippers were my pick last year and it seems like I I don't know maybe I'm just kind of chalking last year up to an anomaly because of the COVID stuff Um, but I think as of now they're kind of uh, they're my pick in the regular season at least in the West. Yeah, no, I I think that's fair, and I like I said, I would have I would have picked them as well. Um, and also, I wanted to just kind of add as a logical reason to go with the Clippers instead of the Lakers, and it kind of ties into your TMZ thing as well. There have been a lot of, or I was just kind of seeing as I was doing my research, there has been a sense the Lakers. Ha- I mean, I'm sorry, straight that the Clippers have said, come out and said hey, listen, we took our foot off the gas pedal last regular season, and we think that hurt us come playoff time. Given that they are kind of accepting that narrative or whether that narrative is actually true or not or whether there were deeper issues or what, I think they're, them saying that shows that they will possibly be hungrier in the uh, regular season to kind of run it up and get that one seed. Whereas the Lakers really have nothing left to prove in that regard. And plus the kind of longevity, longevity slash fatigue issues you, you outlined previously. I think that's, that's definitely a tick mark in favor of the Clippers um, instead of the Lakers Um, on, on the, on the roster moves and stuff like that. I think the addition of Serge Ibaka is, is, and to kind of maybe talk about the why they might not be the the number one the number one regular season team, I think that the addition of Serge Ibaka is a move that will help them tremendously out in the in the playoffs. And as I've thought about it more and more, for as flashy as some of the Laker moves are that I'm sure we will bring up again momentarily, I wonder if the Clippers actually did more to help themselves win a championship uh, with their moves than the Lakers did. Um, although the Lakers didn't really have, couldn't get much better. It could certainly be argued, but even given that though, I think they are just slightly less deep, deep less deep this year than they were last year um, with the loss of Harold, the replacement of Shamit for Kennard, uh, as we mentioned, but on the other hand, a guy like Marcus Morris it's important to remember that they got him at the trade deadline last year, and they're now going to have him for a full year. Um, right. So, so that's something in their favor. You know, did we even really talk about the Paul George extension? Like, or no, not happen? really. 
Yeah, not really. I mean, we I, I feel like we we have to kind of like just out of necessity not give that a full blown hash out. But um, I I think the Paul George extension was interesting. A lot of like I don't know if you kind of have friends who talk about the NBA in a casual way, but I feel like the narrative on Paul George due to last year's playoffs has kind of like almost really swung in an uh where to the point where he might actually be a little bit underrated now like he was an MVP candidate when he was on the Thunder but kind of that lackluster performance and just like I think his personality rubs people the wrong way um it seems like people really soured on him and like we're kind of making fun of that extension I mean whatever it it is what it is but a thing I, I I that stuck out to me and I'm not particularly creative in saying this was you know what the the Paul George extension kind of smelled to me of that Clipper front office saying, listen, we traded all these picks for these two guys and we need to keep something around. Um, and Paul George now is definitely sticking around. I wonder what we're going to hear from Kawhi Leonard this year. I wonder what the mood around that team is going to be. And I wonder what the if things do start to go sideways, what, what the vibes are coming out of kind of uh, not only from that, from that camp, but from Kawhi Leonard in general, because he could be a free agent after this year. Could he not? Um, So, you know, I feel like if we're going to, and this is going to be a really, really good team. You're very much uh, picking nits to kind of say this kind of thing. But if you want to look at the downside, I feel like Kawhi weirdness is is one potential. I, I pray not because I love watching Kawhi Leonard and I was sort of hard on him and somewhat disappointed by by what what the Clippers did in the playoffs, specifically specifically from Leonard himself. And I'd really love to see him kind of not that he wasn't really, really good last year, but I'd love to see him be like an MVP, an MVP candidate type. Um but uh, if 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 things start to go sideways, remember that this was a guy who you know left the the San Antonio Spurs, left the Toronto Raptors. Um, you wonder what what the outcome will be if they underperform again this year. Yeah, I think that. But the that's the, an interesting subplot. Yeah. Yeah. With all things said, they're the num- they're my number one pick and probably my pick to come out of the West also. But um. But worth so, mentioning. Right. So moving on to pick number two, Andrew, um, we mentioned this team in conjunction. Is this where you're going with the crosstown? Run? Yeah, I can't I can't really bring myself to take the nuggets ahead of them, although I think they would be a ballsy pick that I could certainly get behind. Um, apparently I haven't watched much of him, but Jokic is looking incredible in the preseason, which which excites me. A lot. Um, I think I actually picked him as my, like, I don't think, I actually think I picked Giannis, but I think I picked Jokic as kind of my sleeper MVP pick last year. And he kind of underwhelmed, at least for a lot of the beginning of last season. And the idea that he's just going to come out in shape and hopefully firing on all cylinders is super exciting. Um, Anyway, we can talk about that when we talk about the Nuggets. But the point I was trying to make was I could see, the Nuggets being a viable pick here, but I'm taking the Lakers. Just 
I, I'm just going to kind of stick with the idea that the machine is going to keep it rolling uh, for the most part. Projected for 46 and a half win teams, uh, win game. Jesus Christ, 46 and a half games won in this shortened 72 game season. Um, and I, I'll reiterate a point I made in the Eastern Conference uh, drafts since since it got lost to time. I think it's perfectly applicable here. I think in this weird. This season will arguably be weirder than the bubble season, right? Or than last season. Because for as weird as the bubble was, for as weird as the bubble was, once the bubble kind of got going, it was a, it was a controlled environment, right? Like after the initial getting into the bubble and like, I'm sure things changed and like, Certainly weird stuff happened. You could argue that the Miami Heat run to the, to the, you know, to, to as well as they did kind of, uh, uh, was, was driven by bubble weirdness, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, wow, holy fuck, I'm making this way more long-winded than it has to be. It, it, it stabilized fairly quickly. This year, there are all these weird playing in empty arenas, lack of home field advantage, still traveling, COVID, uh, shortened season, season that's starting so quickly to the, to the end of last season. You know, I'm, I'm sure there, there are more and more, more and more things you could, you could, you could point to, but um, there are a lot of variables really, really this, this year. Uh, and the, I, the, given that, I think it's, you have to, in an exercise such as this, place a premium on continuity and place a premium on momentum and inertia. So I'm kind of just rolling with AD and LeBron and assuming that that is going to, to be pretty much enough to keep them at the top of the West. Um, does it mean that does it mean them kind of taking, taking it easy and um, falling to say four is, is out of the question? No. Does it mean AD or LeBron you know, LeBron's not getting any younger. Anthony Davis has missed time in the past, although he did a pretty good job last season of staying on the floor. Yes, that's certainly possible. Conversely, um, I think it's definitely possible that the addition of players like Montrez Harrell and and uh, and Schroeder kind of boosts them in the regular season because they're they're just going to have a little bit more depth a little bit more playmaking when LeBron James and, and AD are not on the floor. It may enable those, the addition of those kind of players may enable LeBron and AD to kind of play together and rest a little bit more um, at points. Um, so kind of all in all, taking all those things in totality, like I, I think the value is, is too good to to pass out with the Lakers at two here because they're, they have, an extremely high floor and the ceiling is, you know, that, that upper end of outcomes is the most likely. Totally agree. And I, I mean, objectively, I think if you looked at this roster, they're probably a deeper team compared to last year. Um, I mean, just like some of the guys that they have, like Gasol, uh, Marcus, all Harold, Mark, the other Morris twin, Marquise Morris, uh, Kuzma's coming off the bench, probably Wes Matthews. Um, a lot of people are making uh, some uh, some news about Talon uh, Horton Tucker, who ended up scoring like thirty something 
um, in an NBA preseason game. So maybe he'll get some minutes thrown in there too. But it's just objectively a deeper team compared to last year. And I think that when you look at this team, it'll help keep um, some of the other guys fresher. I think they might be resting LeBron a little bit more. They might be resting AD a little bit more just because of some of the, some of the depth they have on this team. Not to say they can kind of go without those guys for long stretches of time, but I think, you know, coming off of a back-to-back, um, they might give some of those guys rest. Um, and that's, that's part of the reason why I ding them um, um, in comparison to the Clippers. But I think it's, like, very close. Um, and you can't really go wrong with either team as your first, or, or as your first pick. Um, and then kind of moving on, Andrew, to number three and I know we're steamrolling through we could have probably talked about I could have probably talked about LeBron a little bit more (laughs) I'm Um, sure we will get plenty of I'm sure we will get plenty of a chance to talk about LeBron throughout the season I got in a gigantic actually this is kind of funny I got in a not gigantic but I got in a fairly heated drunken fight with with my good friends and roommate Ryan Lander um the the over over the last weekend because he was actually catching up on the last dance for the first time and uh he was telling me and he was telling me that he basically his his position was I like MJ more than LeBron because MJ at least he is who he is um you know and he embraces his role whereas LeBron tries to be everything at once and comes off as a little bit phony like that was I'm phrasing it in a nice way or whatever and uh especially he was talking a lot about the China thing and blah 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 and I just got so angry like I was getting so angry at him um that uh (laughs) yeah it led to it was a fairly bitter back and forth um but uh I don't know. I don't know what that I has would to have do with anything, to, but I love. I would have. Loved I w- you would have. I would have loved to see what additions to the. I would have loved to see what additions to the conversation you you might have had, particularly if you you had been a couple of beers deep as well. But uh, yeah, anyway, there's always going to be plenty of time to talk about LeBron and the Lakers. So I'm anxious to see who you're going to go with at number three here. I mean, we've so, kind of seemed to have delineated the Nuggets of that as that third team. Um, but right. there are off-the-board options that are interesting here, so right. let's see. So, so I was kind of going to make this pitch to you in terms of there seems to be like a tiny bit of a drop, like maybe a mini drop here between the Clippers and the Lakers to this yeah. next level of teams where yeah. I don't know who you're going to – who you would throw in there, but to me there I would say there's maybe – four teams that you could possibly group here, the Nuggets, the Trailblazers, the Jazz, and the Mavericks. Um, yeah, I mean, it is an interesting question of, like, are the Bl- who is part of that tier or, or maybe the Nuggets in kind of a mini tier of their own followed by the next three. Um, I was actually thinking about taking a non-Nuggets team at three, but – but backed out of it, and I think I'll get a chance to maybe take them at four. But um, unless I'm mistaken, and I just kind of blew up a, a point that you were going to make. 
No, no. But I, I think, I I'm, think you're I'm, pro- yeah. I think you're probably right that it's a tier of the next four, but I do think as compared to the East where there was this blob of like the Celtics, the Sixers, the, you know, the, the, the heat and the Raptors, I feel like there's a little bit more of those teams kind of like the range of out, like there was maybe a little bit more of a defined order to those teams whereas this team has a little bit more of a, a broad range of outcomes to me. We're like, I could see a team like the Jazz falling all the way to eight, while simultaneously I could see a team like the Mavericks being the two seed. Uh, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, so the, yeah. the range of possibilities, I think, are a little bit more varied in the West in comparison to the Eastern Conference. But with all that being said, I think I'm taking Denver at three. Um, yeah, they... On Westgate, they are at 44 and a half. They have the third. Uh, they're the they're I guess pitted at three by Westgate in in the West. Yeah, and conference. Westgate would Westgate would would say that they're above the rest of these teams. Like they're two games ahead of the Mavericks, two games ahead of the Jazz. So so I think from right. for pure value perspective, they were the right moves in that respect. Right. And and just kind of going off this team, especially off of like their playoff run last year in the Western Conference final, um, Jamal Murray was getting all this love. Uh, Jokic really turned it on in the playoffs last year, uh, showing his ability and kind of giving us that, oh, wow, this guy can be MVP candidate level if he ended, he shows like, the level he showed in the playoffs consistently in the regular season and doesn't have those slow starts. And you mentioned that uh, earlier in the pod um, as him possibly being one of those dark horse guys uh, last year that you thought of that I think is a possibility even this year. Um, And supposedly, like you were saying, he's looked pretty good. They've re-signed Paul Millsap. I think that was kind of, one of those deals that is Millsap getting a little bit too old to do what he's going to do. They lost Jeremy Grant, who I thought for them provided a lot of different things for, but at the contract that he received from the Detroit Pistons, uh, it seemed like they were ready to move on from him and kind of give a lot of the minutes that he played to uh, Michael Porter Jr., who I think for them is the big question mark in terms of whether or not their ceiling is going to be a nice story, nice team, or one of these teams that is going to start really kind of pushing the envelope on those top two seeds that we mentioned before. Um, Will Barton is someone that didn't play in the playoffs last year. Um, he'll be he'll be back it looks like he's going to be playing and and like there I think those are some of the the really interesting uh, types of guys they they replaced Jeremy Grant with Jamichael Green um, and hopefully Bol Bol gets some uh, gets more minutes this season but um, that's just more out of me wanting to see this gangly seven foot two dude like jack up threes uh while he's just kind of like with 18 seconds left in the in the shot clock so yeah uh that's pretty much 
how I see them and Jamal Murray. Like, hopefully, like, I think prior to his postseason, um, like, performance, uh, I think a lot of people remember him kind of going, um, him and Donovan Mitchell kind of going at it, and then ultimately them taking down the Clippers. I think the story on Murray was kind of, he's a nice player, um, but is he like one of those franchise type of guys that you're really going to commit to? And ultimately, I think he's shown in the playoffs, he can be one of those guys. Now in the regular season, it's, it's more about consistency. And I wonder um, if, I think that's like the next, depth in development in terms of like night in night out I can go for 20 uh 20 to 25 a game and be a player whereas like I think last season he was averaging around 18 or so a game uh uh, 17 18 a game um and he was a nice player but I don't think people really foresaw what was going to happen in the playoffs so I think that's another interesting variable along with the MPJ point that I was making before. Yeah, of course. And, and the thing about uh, a thing about Murray also is that he's struggled to stay on the court at times throughout his career. Kind of a thing I was thinking about as you were outlining that, that idea with Murray there was, although Damian Lillard had, I think a, Damian Lillard at every point in his career was better than Jamal Murray was at every point in his career, kind of so far. You'd love to see Murray, I think, if you're a Nuggets fan, have one of these kind of, like, how Damian Lillard has come in certain seasons and just, like, shown an expansion in his game or, like, gone on an incredible hot streak that you wonder where it's going to end, but it just keeps going. That's kind of what happened to Murray in the in the playoffs. And I think if you're a Nuggets fan, you want to see that kind of that kind of plane hit for an extended period of time of time in the regular season. I I don't have much to add. I think you did a very good job of outlining all the additions and subtractions there. Um, the one thing I would add is you wonder, especially if a guy like Michael Porter Jr. overperforms or or his value is looking particularly good. Do the Nuggets enter these sort of sweepstakes for Bradley Beal or you know? probably not Harden, but whatever other superstar may become available. I think they've always kind of been one of these, like once you get outside of the big market teams, they're kind of in that tier two of teams that could theoretically make a big trade. So that always has to be mentioned. And one just thing I will say, just a personal value judgment on me. I've always just thought of this team as a kind of team that overperforms in the regular season, and I will pretty much continue to think of them that way until further notice. Um, although I would have picked them third here, I think there are teams below them where if you were like, if we were doing the teams that have the best chance of getting to the West, like if we were doing this like instead of regular season wins, we were picking teams like based on their their win share like or their like if you you win if the team makes it out of the Western Conference, basically, I think there right, are right. other teams I would take besides the Nuggets because the Nuggets have always basically been a, to do a little bit of NBA nerdery. They basically have been for the past three years now a team that plays like a forty three win team, but then wins forty six or forty seven. So I I would suspect that they will continue to do that this year. 
give, I mean, there are obviously those variables you mentioned. The guy I also think about is Gary Harris, who like just sort of fell off a fucking cliff last year. And you wonder if like, maybe you can get a little bit more out of him uh, or have him sort of return to form in a way. Could that kind of, kind of give them that marginal boost to, you know, to, 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 to take them to that, you know, not necessarily that next level, but make them into that kind of 50 win or 50 win equivalent caliber team. But I, I my gut kind of tells me now, like unless Jokic really breaks through to like a top three level player in the league, I think for the most part, this team, it's going to be that. All right. They're a nice regular season story. Now let's see what you can do in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, totally from true. that. From that, I, I'd like to go to my number four. Um, you know, a team I was, I've kind of been interested to talk about and kind of have been thinking about a lot. Um, in, ter- in terms of like a team that could make the leap, I, I, I feel, I wonder if you kind of know where I've been going here, but I'm taking the Dallas uh, Mavericks at number four. I was hoping <laughs> um, you weren't going to take them. My yeah, I know. That, player, I, I know. Luka. I thought you. Yes, I I know. Uh, I, wow, you sounded like a petulant. You sounded legitimately like a child there, like my yep, favorite player, like a disappointed yeah. child on Christmas. And yes, it means uh, you know, could I have taken my Trailblazers here? Maybe could I have taken the Jazz here? Certainly, but it's it's I I like that you obviously you have to bring up Luca. The reason I, I would have thought about taking them in number three, but for the fact that Chris Porzingis apparently isn't going to be playing until at least January, and you wonder about his health and longevity. But but Luca is the point for me because I'm a guy I like to try and balance my kind of my my NBA thinking. Like I ha- like to have the right the right proportion of. I do this with like gambling too on, on sports. Like I like to try and balance the right bits of of insight, whether it be statistically or with some other kind of like great point. And I like to kind of also have that old school Bill Simmonsy. Like there are just sports narratives that that get played out over and over over time. And I feel like Luka Doncic is going to is on track to be an MVP type player who is one of the great, you know, a top 25 player in NBA history. And it feels like that kind of a player in their third year, having, you know, led his team to the, the sixth seed and kind of having this really, really good offense, but being like, you know, never really feeling like a true threat to the Western conference it feels like in year three, he would bring that team up to the next level. Right. And that's kind of what I, what I could see happening here and think probably will happen to some extent. I know he's a huge favorite for MVP this year. And I think that's, that's probably been with, uh, with good reason. Um, and you know, and there's really not much more to say to it, say about it than that, because Luka Doncic to me is a player that's like, not going to really add new facets to his game, but probably will just continue like a James Harden will continue to kind of do the things he does, but just do them at a higher and higher level. Um, But, you know, moving beyond Luca, I just, you know, I like some of the fringe, the fringe moves they've made, particularly we talked about this a lot, the addition of Josh Richardson. 
I think although Seth Curry maybe was a nice like piece that contributed to them being that number one offensive team and okay without him maybe they fall to three I think the defensive versatility he he provides for that team or maybe giving or maybe gives them a bit of defensive first versatility that they didn't have in the past could be a huge change could be like a huge you know boost especially when it comes to some of those I mean I think it'll help in the playoffs as well but when it comes to you know, when you think about how a team is going to grow in the regular season, you know, a lot of times it's a pretty easy correlation. Like, if you have a decent offense and a decent defense, you're around that, like, eighth seed level. If you have a really good offense and a decent defense, you're around the, like, fourth seed level. And if you have a really good offense and also a good defense, you're in the top the top four, basically. Or you're in the top four of the league. Um and uh, that's kind of like the kind of move that I think gives them the chance to enter that 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 last quadrant. Um, yeah. So I, you know, given those things, there's certainly there's certainly question marks here. You're always going to wonder about health with Luca and and Porzingis, but you know, I feel like I'm more of a after being a little bit of a Mavs skeptic last year, I think I'm looking at this team more and more and really buying into their their upside or this idea that they really could be a team that, you know, makes the leap. And is it like the most under the radar thing in the world? No, but I think there are a lot of signs pointing in that direction. Yeah, I like for me, I think just because looking at this team, it seems like while Luca does, he's going to improve. And like, like even when he does improve it, I don't know like how much further he can really improve offensively um, other than becoming super efficient and then improving things like becoming a a better three point shooter um, off the dribble. I, I think even things like, when we get to like parsing out like who you're going to choose between Dallas, uh, Portland and Utah, it's going to be the health question. And Kristaps yeah. not playing to me was the hard thing when not yeah, using them fair. at three, because I think he's kind of shown when he's on the court, he can definitely, I think, change the ceiling for this team, but he's just hurt far too often. And, that's going to be the variable for this team as to whether or not they're all right, a nice story like they were last season, had a couple moments like that shot that that was made by Luca in the playoff. Like they'll have nice movements or if Kristaps can show some consistency, provide interior defense, then I think it changes what this team's ceiling can be. And I think that you mentioned the Richardson deal for Curry. Like he provides some of some more of that two way play defensively too, helping out guarding some of the wings that are that that are in the West. And I think that's where it ends up like, all right, a lot more things kinda have to like fall into place for this team, whereas like the the nuggets they pretty much know what they are from last season um but yeah yeah I, that's I, fair. Mean, I i like this Mavs team like 
I like, I love watching Luca. Like he's been one of those guys that I've pretty much fallen in love with since he got drafted. So that's pretty much like, he's my guy um, that I'll continue to keep watching and enjoying playing, uh, seeing him play. So um, with all of that being said, and with uh, the Mavs, I have the next pick. And this kind of threw me for a loop because I, I honestly thought you were going to go Portland at four, kind of go with the hometown pick. And I was going to go Mavs here with the fifth pick. So that's me kind of saying to you, and I, maybe you're, you're going to revenge take the Blazers here. Right. So I'm taking the Blazers here. Um, I, I'm not sure whether or not I should just kind of toss it to you for five minutes. No, so you actually, can, you so know you, what? You know what? So Kevin? you can make my point. Make my point. No, I'm actually. You have over the years, you have um, gotten the chance to kind of absorb a lot of my Blazer knowledge and stuff, and and talk about you know, and we and gotten a lot of probably insight that. Now, this is making myself sound smart, but just like absor- absorb tangential kind of, you know, bits that maybe you wouldn't know if you were friends with a Blazer fan or whatever, or maybe studied them a little more closely. But I feel like over the last offseason, we had gotten to the point, like, I feel like the Rocco deal almost was this turning point where, like, you finally fully came onto the bandwagon or something like that. So I'm I'm let, I feel I feel very comfortable with letting you have the floor here and and I'll and I'll chime in afterwards. I say and you know what you got to pick them. It was my I I robbed you of the chance to you know talk about how great Luca is for for a couple minutes. So so I I say go my friend. I pass the torch to you. Um, it just seems like this team has made a couple moves that I feel are going to change what they did. So last year they just had a really slow start to the season. Um, You know, I think Nurkic being hurt last year just really, really hampered them in terms of what they could do. Um, And then they, and then a lot of these, uh, once they got into the bubble, made the playoffs as the eighth seed, there's like a lot of talk about them like hey making a run which was really interesting to me honestly to to hear like a lot of people like all right watch out for Damian Lillard CJ McCollum they can do some things and you know if you remember back at the time like the Lakers weren't they were struggling kind of in the bubble and and readjusting and and like some of these prominent NBA writers like Chris Haynes were were kind of choosing um, the Blazers as an upset pick. Uh, ultimately, they didn't really pull it off, but they were an entertaining team to watch. And I think going into this season, there's this stability there now that with the top three guys in Nurkic, Dame, and CJ, that they have this familiarity with each other. No one's injured, thankfully for them. Um, And they've been able to bring on a couple secondary pieces that really kind of, if you're a Blazers fan, 
you think back to the Mo Harkless uh, Aminu days in terms of like defensively what those guys provided for the Blazers a couple seasons ago to what Rocco and Derek Jones Jr. can possibly provide for them this season. And I think Rocco's probably better than anything Aminu and Harkless were for the Blazers in terms of just what he could provide defensively and offensively shooting the three. Um, And it doesn't seem like he'd be shy shooting the three at all either, just become uh, coming from the, that Houston system. So I think that was a great trade and being able to do that. And this team is deep, like probably the first time as like someone that has been following the Blazers closely because of you, they feel a lot deeper just going too deep in every position where I feel like there's not a huge drop off when going from like, especially at the the wing positions. Um, I think that was the trouble for this team for a couple of years, just trying to be like, who are we going to throw out on the wings? And it was a lot of like, throwing out a lot of these undersized guys that necessarily didn't necessarily fit all together. Um, yeah. And they, they have Gary Trent jr. Rodney hood. It seems like coming off the bench, Carmelo's back for another season. It seemed like he enjoyed his time there. Um, and I, I, I just kind of like the makeup of the team Um that I think they'll be, I think they'll be fairly good. And, and between Utah and them, I just like that. They're, it seems like they're a little bit, a tad bit deeper than Utah is. And that's pretty much my reasoning as to why I chose Portland over Utah. Um, And even like, yeah. And that's pretty much like what I kind of based it off of. I, I think that was a very good assessment, Kevin, and you almost sounded like an optimist. Not a not a Kool-Aid sip or anything that, but like a cautiously optimistic Blazer fan, which which I which I appreciate. I, I definitely understand the picking them over Utah thing and I would have picked them over Utah myself. I think a Utah fan might argue or as we sort of get into the kind of like blazery worries for this season. I, I think they're a team with a higher ceiling, but I think can the, the kind of converse of that argument you would, or the thing to be worried about, you would wonder is just like this idea that kind of what we mentioned previously, like this COVID centric season, we've been prizing stability. And the fact of the matter is this is going to be a team that um this is going to be a team that's kind of not necessarily lear- it's not like they're going to be playing a drastically different style or anything but they are going to be integrating into these pieces and kind of trying to figure out what they do in a different way which they haven't had to do over the years too too much and when they have see integrating Hassan Whiteside into the fold last year there there have kind of been some troubles like it's important to remember that Yusuf Nurkic although he did play in the bubble uh, which and you know have a fairly high level of success I would I would argue based on you know based off you know breaking your leg and coming back to, to basketball for the first time although he got a little bit of extra kind of rest because of the, the the shutdown in March when he was just about due to come back, um, 
you know, there it's possible that there are some growing pains there. Um, the the preseason has been a little shaky so far, and I rarely put too much stock in that, especially given that at this point it seems like Damian Lillard is is very comfortable with kind of like it's it, in not like a James Harden I'm going to show up with a beer belly kind of way, but like a I'm go I he's not going to get too high or too low even if they do come out and fall through a little bit, which I could argue is is a negative just in terms of regular season win total because this is a team that that will slide and be willing to slide in in some respects. Like I personally think the pressure is going to come more as we kind of approach playoff time, because if they are in that seven, eight slot again and go out in the first round there, I feel like they've kind of gotten off the hook. They got off the hook last year due to some of the injuries, but I think certain questions would start to emerge again. And the other thing I will mention just as a, as a potential fear depth is nice. Of, of course, that, that is really great, but figuring out how to use that depth and kind of craft these lineups that, that these either lineups that are super efficient. And like when they're on the floor, they're like plus a million. And that kind of is able to bank you a bunch of wins. Or if you're a team like the, like the Clippers per se, craft a lineup that allows you when your stars are off the floor to stay afloat and that the Blazers have really never been able to do that in the Damian Lillard era when Damian Lillard's off the floor they kind of go to shit and they've tried all manner of of um of of solution to solve that problem the Evan Turner is going to run the point kind of idea the oh boy tj mccollum's <laughs> gonna run the point idea you know anthony simons and they haven't really addressed that problem i would argue like maybe is it going to be like mellow as kind of the six-man engine of That's the offense what I was thinking. is it going yeah. to be you know gary trent jr rodney hood bench mob type thing or are we going to cut or is this, or are we going to end up with Anthony Simons running the point? And if he's not on, like it's going to be same kind of the same show with a different cast. So I think those are things I'm looking at certainly as like things to to wonder about. But I do have to wholly agree with you that like at the end of the day, I think you're going into this this Blazer season with as much optimism and not that you ever really went in with, with, um, with, uh, with a huge negative outlook or I certainly never did in any of the previous seasons, but I think it's the first time in quite a while where a blazer fan across the board is saying Neil O'Shea did a great job and we can be a better team this year. So, so that's certainly worth something. Yeah. And All right. I, I, I guess- feel, Oh, Okay. No, hit me. One of the things that I did kind of, and you addressed it a little bit in terms of rotations and like who would end up playing. um, Do you feel like, like in terms of crunch time five, it's going to just be matchup dependent or is it going to be like Derek Jones Jr. is not going to really be in there and it's going to either be, you're going to put Gary Trent or Carmelo in that, in that, I don't think it would be Car. I I was gonna say Trent Trent or Hood to be honest with you. Oh, okay. Uh, Before before Carmelo, I mean the the end. 
Derrick Jones Jr.'s ability to be in a crunch time lineup will depend on if he can hit a three or not. I mean, he's actually been shooting the three fairly well in preseason, which which is an encouraging sign. But, I mean, years of watching Aminu and Harkless kind of has taught me that you have to believe it when you see it in that respect. But I would guess Lillard, McCullough. I would guess the 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 barring injury, Lillard, McCollum, Hood, uh, Roko, uh, uh, Nurkic is is the most common Blazer closing five in a close game. Got yeah, got it. And I I just feel like Wait, Trent Trent would be Trent Trent would be the number two. Trent uh, Trent is I think Trent is worth something out there. Gary Trent, don't get me wrong, is my favorite. Is probably my. I don't know. He's probably my fourth. I guess after you get outside of the big three, he's the blazer I enjoy watching the most. But I just think there's – I'm not quite ready to, to to say he's a closing three in the NBA yet. I, I think Hood just makes more sense to me because at least he's long enough where if he gets switched on to a – you can switch him and Rocco and feel right, okay right. about it where you can't necessarily do that with, with Trent. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. Anyway, no, we're no. getting into yeah. the weeds here. We'll have plenty of time to discuss. The, I mean, the good thing is now that you're fully, I, I, I've crowned, like, now that you are fully knowledgeable about the Blazers and able to kind of speak of them, speak on them extemporaneously and kind of have expressed a certain level of optimism, it is going to be so much fun when they're like 12 and 12 and we can get on this podcast and you can you can talk about how shit they are, you know, like you'll be able to yeah. now do that with perfect. The disappointment will be so educated that, that, that I'm excited for that. That's the only phase you really have left to, to go through. To experience the pain and be in. Indo- yeah. And so I've been indoctrinated in that way by you. So, exactly. Um, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to, to it's really 12, like a fraternity start. where you need to be, you need to be hazed and put through trials of fire, but ultimately there's there's a real brotherhood there, and and that's 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 worth more than anything. All right, so number six, um, I feel like so we've pretty much the kind of Kevin Andrew Hive mind has 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 helped to form here, right? Because you would have pretty much taken these teams in the same order they've been taken, right? And same for me. Pretty much. I, I I thought you were going to take Portland fourth over the Mavericks just because um, of bias, but, it, you know. But you would have being, taken the Mavericks at four, I and, you, and I would have taken the Blazers at five, so. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like we've pretty much held the form here. Um, so are you going Utah here then? Yeah, I'm going Utah. I'm going Utah. Okay. And I think they're a good value. I think they could end up being a – they're probably a little. I would say in. I would be interested to see where we had them in our in our on our big board last year. I'm going to try and pull that up now. But I think you could definitely make a pretty convincing argument that over the years, the the um, I think you can make a pretty convincing argument over the years that like the Jazz have been overrated for the most part, but this year may be a little bit underrated. I mean, part of that is probably due to us. The The Jazz do have a higher projected win total, total, a higher projected win total than the Blazers do 
as per Westgate, 41 and a half versus 42 and a half. But I think getting the Blazers at, at six is a pretty um, tremendous. I mean, the Jazz at six is a pretty good value. Just in that sense of like, it's kind of the Nuggets thing, but for the middle of the, like it's the Nuggets, but at, in the four, five, six slot instead of three. They have that core of Mitchell and Gobert that's going to, for the most part, anchor you um I, I, I and it's also pacer vibes too in that I didn't I kind of like don't really know what else to say beyond that like favors coming back into the fold is you know a nice a nice piece like in that kind of backup five to buoy you that like but did they lack that last year with a guy like Tony Bradley I don't know I think it's just the health of the ancillary pieces that that that's going to kind of control whether they're as high as say three or as low as say six or seven at the end of the day Conley what does he look like how much is he staying on the floor Bogdanovich how healthy is he how much is he staying on the floor you know Sure, could Mitchell take another step? It's possible, but it's it's not really something I'm expecting at this point. So I, I think they kind of occupy that blazer zone now that the Blazers kind of have shaken things up a little bit, right? Like you're just kind of you're repeating, you're 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 running it back with the with fundamentally the same cast of characters from last year, give or take a few pieces. You didn't really do that much in free agency, although you you didn't really have much of a means to. And you're hoping that you see some internal growth or that things click, especially, or that, you know, the teams above you get hurt. Um and and that's about it. Am am I wrong here? Like am I am I missing something or, or is this no, no. Feel as I mean, well? No, I, I pretty much feel the same way. Whether the Bogdanoviches can stay healthy, that's the big one. Uh, Conley was not good last year. Like in the yeah. beginning of last year, he was just, we were just kind of like, wow, he's really like, he, he was on not yeah. shoot the ball, got it back a little bit, but he just could, couldn't really make a shot last year. So, um, that'll be the pairing between him and Mitchell is seemed like going into last season, everyone was talking about how like great of a fit it was and it didn't seem like it was as seamless as possible as as people were saying it was so that'll be something to watch out for and whether there's a lot more comfort there um but other than that I think you pretty much hit everything on like what I would have said in terms of like same with the pace like in terms of storylines with the pacers and like there's a there's a corollary there in terms of it being very similar just like all right, same old, same old kind of, and we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know much else in terms of whether or not um, there's like much room for growth per se um, for this team. Hey, so, so just to say one thing, you know, to, let's just try and toss out a nugget to my friend, Gerald. I literally just Googled Utah jazz preseason to see if, see if something could catch my eye. Per SLC dunk, the U, the Jazz in the preseason have shot the three at a record pace. And, uh, you know, over the years, Quinn Snyder has kind of settled into this kind of motion-driven, slowish, but steady offense. And, you know, maybe shaking things up schematically and, you know, 
playing with a little bit more pace, letting, you know, Conley and Gobert, whoever gets, uh, go, fucking Gobert, Conley and Mitchell, <laughs> whoever gets the ball, just, just chuck, just kind of drive and kick it to Ingles or Bogdanovich or whoever's open, you know what I mean? And the thing is, isn't it hard to do that when Gobert's your center? You know, it's kind of a vicious, vicious circle where, like, I don't know how much they could ever really change their style of play due to the fundamental pieces, but, you know, uh, that's that's I tried for you, Gerald. That's that's all I can that's all I can say there. <laughs> I mean, you you mustered up a really good try. I mean, I do think it is tough with Gobert being manning the center position, just moving up and down the court in a fast like it just doesn't fit the style in terms of like the personnel that's on the court. Um, like yeah. it would be great just in terms of like. You know, you think of Utah, like the, it's like people would get tired just, you know, like they were kind of talking about in the last dance doc, how, you know, uh, going to elevation and things like that might make people tired, but I don't know. Yeah, that is, that is, that is, that is something I heard uh, them mention on Dunked On today, which I did think was interesting. This idea that like Denver and Utah are now basically the only two teams that actually have a home court advantage. That, that could be an interest. I, I, I kind of am intrigued by that, um, by that idea, but I think more intrigued in the way of like interested to see if that actually bears out than like, I think that could be a material advantage for either of them more than usual yet. So with that, I think now we're kind of, to me at least, like the next. So the tier definitely drops off here, right? Totally. Um, So, and I think we kind of reach another interesting question as to like, what is the next tier and how many teams are in it? And I suspect that the next three teams or so I think now we have a chance for us to kind of diverge a little bit more. Um, I'm not sure it'll happen here, though. Um, Kevin, who are you taking with number seven here? Because I think it reminds me of the I, – I could be wrong, but it reminds me of kind of the in the three through six where, like, the, the Nuggets were – even though they're in the same tier, there is one team that looks a little bit more promising than the rest. I, I think that might be true here. Um, but but let's see. Who are you taking at number seven? So number seven. Um, this was honestly really tough for me to kind of parse out just because of James Harden moves, possibilities, Ooh. and things yeah. like that, and whether and whether or not I go Houston and kind of go like pretend James Harden stays for the majority of this season. Yeah, I had trouble that, with that too. I moved, that, I moved the Rockets up and down my list a lot when I was uh, when I was when I was making this. Because if Harden stays, he and like I maybe even take them over Utah at a certain point. Mm, yeah, but I I kind of went with the assumption that he's probably gonna be going somewhere. Um, yeah, so. I went with the ultimate floor raiser in Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns. Um, That's who I would have taken to. So that should be Chris Paul's like moniker slash nickname in terms of like, he can bring a team from like pretty much like the depths of nothingness to 
at least an eighth seed in 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 uh in the playoffs and it seems like this is pretty much where I'd take Phoenix. Um I had a lot lot of hesitancy even kind of banking on them just cuz like Chris Paul's getting up there in age. And yeah, like you just don't know when these guys can break down. Like LeBron is probably the one transcendent guy that hasn't broken down this far into his career um and Chris Paul is showing signs of like signs of that in terms of like he looks fairly decent at his age and not breaking down he's had like injuries here and there to deal with but he looked really solid for uh OKC last year especially I think a lot of people were really down on OKC and they're like, what is this team after Chris Paul arrived there? And what, like how motivated is he going to be to be to lead this team? And he led them to a really fun, surprising, like playoff run, uh, pushing, uh, like going to game, uh, game seven against Houston. And that was like, I think that was like one of the most fun series of the playoffs last year. Chris Paul um, is, I I just think he's going to be doing a lot of good for Devin Booker. Um, Booker's going to kind of see how Chris Paul operates. And he hasn't had that in his NBA career thus far. And that's going to be hopefully something where Booker isn't just known as the guy that like is an amazing player, can shoot a bunch of threes is like, is a, a an elite scorer in the NBA, but I think a lot of people are kind of like, what is Booker if he scores 25 to 30 a game, but he can't lead his team to victory. Um, there were glimpses of that last season in the bubble um, when they went undefe- I think they went undefeated in the bubble. I think they went eight and no uh, and barely missed out on the playoffs. Um, but I think that is the one thing, like whether or not Booker and Aiton are going to be able to develop and grow and whether or not Chris Paul is not so much of a hard ass on these kids that he's going to like frustrate the shit out of them, if that makes sense. And it didn't, yeah. it didn't seem like he did that last year at OKC with Shea, it seems like Shea and no, Chris Paul really got probably along well. a slightly Shea is probably a slightly different personality type than is Devin Booker. And I, I thought that was, was an, a really good point and something I was thinking about as well. I won't spend too much time on, on the Suns because I think we just got a, to talk about them a lot after the Chris Paul trade. But a thing I was thinking about is that like the, the idea that Devin Booker has for better or for worse, has kind of had to be the guy throughout his entire son's career so far, and he now doesn't really have to be. Um, And I'm interested to see how he'll react to that. You know what I mean? Is he a guy who is willing to let Chris Paul be the – not that he was like a natural floor general, but just like he kind of got to be the alpha out of – out of the pure necessity. And I think over – it kind of was this like almost – not a bell curve, but it was like a, it was, it helped him and then it hurt him and then it helped him again kind of thing where like 
he was this lights out scorer who kind of exceeded expectations. And then he was kind of seen as this maybe black hole inefficient type. And then he kind of transitioned into this kind of like a lot of NBA stat types who had originally doubted him a little bit. We're putting him on their all NBA teams. And I wonder though, just now that, you know, he can, he doesn't have to be the second banana necessarily, but on certain nights he won't have to do as much or can maybe look to try and do some other things. His willingness to do them or in a more positive way, just like his, his ability to kind of grow into those kind of things will be fascinating to watch. And, and just to your point about like the idea that Chris Paul could get injured, like, or that there, there, there is some question mark there. I agree with that, but I think that and at the end of the day, when you look up and down at the rest of these teams, be it, you know, the Warriors, the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Rockets, I mean, who, like you said, really fascinating. Um, I'm very interested to see when they get taken in this in this um, in this draft, but they all have the same, if not more question marks. So I think given that the Suns had kind of shown some sort of improvement last year before Chris Paul and Chris Paul's track record. It, it It's, if not an obvious pick, I think it's the safest one in that seventh spot. So I think we kind of need to start picking it up now. I just looked at my phone and it said an hour 47. Um, <laughs> and we're halfway. We're, we're, we're not out of the playoff teams yet. With number eight, I'm taking the Golden State Warriors. And this, I had the Houston Rockets in this spot for, at one point, I had, I had pretty much every team in this spot at one point. But I'm going with the Warriors just, uh, Steph Curry got hurt in a fairly freak way last year. And uh, before that had happened, before that had happened, the Warriors were being looked at at kind of, I guess, where they were now. And I was lower on them than most. Like, I think you might have taken them ace last last yep. year. Yeah, I um, did. And I, I was a little bit lower on them. And that was maybe one place where where I kind of got it right. And, and I'm going to go... I'm going to go vice, although it looks like I took the Kings over them. So how smart was I really? But I, I'm going to kind of go, I feel like I'm going to buy a little bit low on them this year and, and take that in the eighth spot over maybe sexier teams like, say, the the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, and yeah, like I'm just buying on this idea that like Steph Curry is going to be healthy-ish at the very least, and he is going to be able to be an engine of a team that, you know, is one of the best, better offenses in, in, in the NBA and does enough to get them to that eighth seed range. And especially given the, given the format change with the get with the play in game teams that are kind of in that eight to 10 range are going to have more of a, more of an incentive to play and win and try and get in. And the Warriors really have no reason compared to some of these other teams to where if things start to kind of turn to, to shut everybody down. Although I guess given kind of the age and health of guys like Steph and Draymond, who I think Draymond's going to miss the first few games, which which isn't a great sign. sign. And the name Clay Thompson hasn't been mentioned because he tore his Achilles, which is – 
such a fucking bummer. But, you know, given all that, and as I'm talking it out more and more, I'm kind of realizing that it's a gut play and maybe wasn't the smartest one. Like maybe the <laughs> Pelicans would have been a, would have been a better choice, but, but I, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm just ready. I, I just, I think the, yeah, I don't know. I'm just buying the Steph Curry thing basically. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to roll with it. Uh, I think Kerr has had an underrated ability over the years to kind of, I'm, or let me frame it this way. I trust Steve Kerr for the most part. And I think last year he didn't even really have a chance to try and figure things out because so much was decided for him. And I'm interested to see this year what he's able to do in terms of trying to figure out the pieces, be it a James Wiseman who has been, you know, showing at least some stuff, be it fully integrating uh, Andrew Wiggins, you know, be it a guy like Kelly Oubre, who I love. Like, I just think they, I mean, the fact of the matter is there's still going to be that fundamental problem of when Steph Curry's off the floor, what do you do? Their offense will probably fall off a cliff when, when he's not on the floor. But um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just a little bit higher, I guess, on, on the ability of them to give in uh, or in the, as so long as they're able to stay relatively healthy, which I guess is a question mark. But as previously mentioned, I think it's a question mark for pretty much all of these teams. I, I, I buy their ability to tread water in a way that some of these other teams I'm a little bit more nervous about, just given that out of all of these teams, Steph Curry is the best player. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good argument to make. And the comparison to me that is like out of like, and and we did it with the previous team with Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns is like, if Steph Curry is this type of player that we've seen him be in terms of like, um, you know, two-time MVP guy that can carry a team, like he should be able to bring this team to at least an eighth seed in my mind. Yeah. Like it's not like the, the roster is devoid of, talent in comparison to like let's say the OKC team last year with Chris Paul on it um and that team maybe the OKC roster is a tiny bit more proven and a little bit better but yeah I I just feel like Steph Curry is like that like probably the best player out of the guys um that can be chosen in this range you're probably I guess like Westbrook I guess Harden raise. is Harden you could definitely make an argument for Harden but I think just the fact that he probably has a greater than 50 percent chance of not being on the team the whole season makes it a moot point pretty much yeah totally agree all right moving on so it seems like there's two natural picks here do I go with the risky one or the more fun one and I think I'm going with a little bit of fun with Zion Williamson, New Orleans Pelicans in this ninth spot here. Um, yeah, I just didn't want to talk about the dread of Houston. So I wanted to talk about a little bit more about like, oh, wow, the fun potential that New Orleans could be like challenging for the eighth seed. And honestly, if Zion stays healthy, 
and he like shows some consistency as to his scoring output and can defensively prove that a lot of the questions that we were asking going into his rookie season, I think they could be a little, even a little bit higher on this list uh, past Phoenix, let's say, um, if everything broke right for them. Um, if Brandon Ingram continues to be like all-star level talent guy and maybe pushes uh, even further than that. And then they, they brought in Steven Adams, um, who is there, who can be like the center, um, center and name, play 20 to 25 minutes a night and then go to Zion in small ball center situations in crunch time maybe. That can be really interesting. Um, obviously, the big loss here is Drew Holiday. And, like, does Eric Bledsoe do maybe 70% of what Holiday can do? Uh, possibly. He hasn't shown it necessarily on a very consistent basis, especially, like, during the playoffs or, or whatever. Um, for Milwaukee last or for the Milwaukee probably two years ago Um, so it's just like there's a lot of questions up in the air there and then Lonzo like Lonzo was one of the the rookies that didn't sign an extension so he'll be a a restricted free agent next offseason but he's another interesting piece um, in the puzzle as well. But like, I kind of like the construction of the team itself. It's just more about whether or not someone like Zion can stay on the floor and that's going to change the, the level as to where they can be. It's kind of funny actually, that this is the first time we're having a slight disagreement, but it's kind of funny that you mentioned the construction of the team. I guess I will say I don't I, I I do agree that the construction of the team meaning like say their top 7 guys or so looks good but the reason I ended up taking um taking the Warriors over the Pelicans was because I kind of just started to look at the the starting lineup of the team I just yeah I looked at the starting lineup of the team and I saw Eric Bledsoe, by who, by the way, the seventy percent of the seventy percent of Drew. Ha- I think this question is can the answer can actually be that I think Drew Bledsoe or Holiday to Bledsoe will be uh, not as much of a drop off as people think. Like the thing is, for the most part, the problem with Bledsoe has been in the playoffs, right? It hasn't been the regular season. So, like, of course, he will not be able to defend at as high a level as Drew Holiday will. And he won't be able to shoot it as well as Drew Holiday will. But will he be able to beat night in and night out, be a pretty good point guard on a pretty good team? Like, yes, I I think the answer will probably be yes. But anyway, I looked at the starting lineup for the New Orleans Pelicans, and I saw Eric Bledsoe, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Steven Adams. And I just was like, that's kind of a fucking weird lineup. Like, (laughs) in two respects. First, that weird Zion, Steven Adams glut is is a little bit odd to me, and I wonder how they're going to make the spacing work there. Um, And you raised the point, which I pretty much think think is a fair one, that, like, it's going to be 25 minutes and then Zion small ball will be like where they really make their hay. And I do understand that, but I do think 
I do think there's still an ultimate problem or not a problem because I think like Adams is better than certainly like Jackson Hayes at that position or whatever. But, but I still think it illuminates that there's some, some fitting in with Zion that still needs to be done. And then also you realize like, holy crap, this lineup, no one can fucking shoot other than Brandon Ingram, basically. And like, of course they have JJ Redick on the, on the bench and I'm sure they will kind of mix and match things and like try and find more shooting on the floor. They'll hope that like what they can lack in, you know, uh, lack in the shooting, maybe they can make up for with some increased versatility. Although it's not like Zion has really shown himself to be a capable defensive player yet. The caveat is obviously yet, but it is, it is still true as of this point. And, uh, and sort of like, although like the, the warrior team, like for example, doesn't like knock your socks off with its depth or whatever, you know, I, I just, you can see scenarios where like the Brandon Ingram thing last year, maybe it was a little bit of fool's gold. Maybe he regresses a little bit. Zion Williamson's health is going to be an issue. Like not going to be an issue, but he's played and apparently looked fairly good in the preseason so far, obviously in better shape than he was when he came back into the bubble, which was just kind of a, a bizarre thing that that gets overlooked a little bit, but I, I think is it's fair to kind of write that one off while still maybe conceding that like you can't feel a hundred percent comfortable as, as as him being a player who can play like more than say fifty games in a regular season before he shows it to you. And like all those things in mind, like I think they are certainly a fun team and if they made the the playoffs, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Zion Williamson took a huge step and, you know, ascends to that kind of like top 15 player in the league status i i wouldn't necessarily be surprised um i think we haven't mentioned thus far is uh stan van gundy coming in as head coach um you know although it's it's been a little while since he was able to really make his imprint on a team in a positive way you could definitely argue that he'll be an improvement over Gentry, at least in the kind of respects that I'm outlining, the being able to solve those problems and, and do the chemistry that's necessary. But as enticing as some of the pieces are, I'm not quite sure it all fits together in a way yet where I'm able to be overly excited about them, at least compared to, they haven't done enough for me to show that they belong in a different spot than the rest of this pack for the most part yet. Interesting. Okay. So it seems like there was our first mini disagreement there. So Andrew next pick is, Oh, I would have taken the Pelican. I would have taken the Pelicans there for the record. I just like the Warriors a little bit better. Um, So I think we will finally have our first disagreement here for sure. If that wasn't, that was like kind of a disagreement. I'm okay. not taking the Rockets. I'm taking the Grizzlies. Okay. Um, okay. And I'm t- probably taking the biggest. They're only projected for 30 and a half teams by Westgate, whereas the Rockets are projected for 34 and a half by Westgate. So I think I am taking the biggest reach probably out of either of the two conference drafts so far. And the reason I'm doing that is because 
I mean, it's a high-risk, high-reward maneuver, kind of, and it's a rocket space maneuver because you raised the point, and it was a good one, that if Chris Paul, I mean, fuck, if James Harden is on the Houston Rockets for the whole season, they will make the playoffs. I feel extremely confident in saying that. Um, He will probably not. I don't know. I don't think he will be on the team the whole year, and I'm just another point though that that could be made and like would have gone in favor of taking the Rockets is like even if he's only on the Rockets for 30 games or so so long as he's not actively not trying or like not playing every night and what have you in those 30 games it's possible that he raises the floor beyond the he raises the floor during those games to the point that after they trade him, like they've done enough to kind of advance beyond some of these other teams in the standings. There's also the argument to be made that even after he, he moves on the combination of John wall and there's some of these other pieces and like whatever they get back my plus the rocket system. Although we kind of have to see what Steven Silas, his offensive system is going to be. I haven't really paid that much attention to that, but assuming it's it's a good one or like kind of that Mavsy style that where they're able to get a boost, like it's conceivable that whatever you get from Harden plus the pe- remaining pieces after they leave is also good enough for kind of that eight seed portion. And there's also an argument to be made that um that um you know they might not really even if they have to trade Harden given Tillman Fertitta, given, you know, the, the the front office kind of being relatively new. Maybe they don't want to blow it up right away, even if they trade Harden. Like maybe they get Ben Simmons, for example. I didn't right, right. I didn't do a good enough job of explaining that. That like the most likely trade package seems to be Simmons and maybe a Simmons led Rockets team is still good enough for the eighth seed. Who knows? I think at the end of the day I just realized like I don't want to fucking do all that calculus. Like, I don't want to, like, I, I think that the, that those, that potential I outlined is there. But I also think he could get traded in the first seven games of the season. I also think that he could actively, the, given how he came into shape at the beginning of the season, I think he could kind of, it could be that sort of like AD type thing where there's active acrimony and things kind of get weird and like it never really seems to click. So, you know, they kind of flounder along until they inevitably trade him and then they start tanking. Um, you know, I think it's possible that a full-on fire sale happens. And even if they do get a guy like Simmons back, they've traded all of their good players. And, you know, Wall and Simmons are such a weird fit. And, you know, obviously <laughs> injuries and stuff like that are enough that they fully tank. So, like, given all that uncertainty... I'd rather just go with John Morant and go with this Grizzlies team that was performing extremely well and looked to be the the presumptive eighth seed until basically they got incredibly stricken by injuries. And yes, Jaron Jackson Jr. isn't coming back until January. Wow, JJJJ in that in that sentence, but and like there's certainly a possibility that there's a little bit of year two regression, not necessarily from Morant, but just from kind of the Grizzlies 
organism in general, and I buy that. But I also think they're being slightly underrated in the respect that, like, rookie point guards are generally not that good. And John Morant was really, really, really good as a rookie. And, um, you know, uh, and I I could see him taking a bit, like, take. I, I feel like the idea that he might take a massive leap into kind of the all-NBA stratosphere is being slightly underrated by people. And people are kind of just remembering how the season ended and neglecting the fact that, like, they were actually pretty good and that there's a chance they'll get better. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I think as we've seen with the, between this and the Warriors pick, I'm going a little bit more with my gut with some of these picks. But I'd rather just take upside than downside in this spot. Or, like, I'd rather be hopeful than, like, oh, well, I hope this team hangs on long enough where, like, they can rack up some wins. Um so I'm making a somewhat philosophical decision here to take to take the Grizzlies instead of the Rockets. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. And I think you did a good job of outline, outlining Houston's troubles for this upcoming season as well. Um, but yeah, I think Memphis is one of those teams where I think they're being underrated just because of Jackson's injury. Yeah. And that is pro- probably like why they've, they're at Westgate. I think they're at 30 and a half wins. I think yeah. they would be closer to like 30, that 34 number if Jackson was in play um, or 35. Like, I think they, they might be in on that, like that tier that we're talking about, like New Orleans um, and possibly um, and challenging for a playoff spot, but just because of injuries like to him and Winslow who, seems like he'll yeah. never be healthy ever but um that seems like the the reason what's what's playing into that possibility um in terms of just like the deflated expectations um going into year two and maybe there there's some built-in sophomore slump stuff for for John Morant slash like the whole team maybe overperforming last year like you were saying um, with that, all that, Houston, I think that brings me to Houston. Um, I'm taking them here. It's a good value pick at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, definitely. Because, I would have like, taken them. I would have taken them next. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good value pick. Um, I could have probably even take, like, if I really wanted to be like, like, I don't know, bold about it, I probably could have even taken them uh for like my son's pick like I was out yeah. before um just yeah, if, definitely if I was like Harden hard reading the tea leaves it seems like at least Harden's gonna be starting with the starting the season with the team just because the season starts uh we're recording this on a Monday night starting uh the season tomorrow um it seems like all the pursuit of him, like whether it be the Heat or the Sixers or the Nets, or there was like a lot of, uh, there was, I don't know if someone, Jamal Murray's name was trending on Twitter today with him possibly like being thrown in a trade package, which I would think is insane for, for the Nuggets to do at this point. Um, like it doesn't seem like, the, it it just seems like they're having a really tough time finding a trade partner and what yeah. they 
can actually extract in terms of value because Harden stated his, has stated his intentions of not wanting to be there. So I think maybe teams are just holding out hope like, oh, he's going to sour that situation to the point where Houston's just not going to want to want to be there or, or like he's not going to be uh, wanting to be in that Houston situation at all. Um, you did kind of steal my uh, who who's the coach of the Houston Rockets uh, in that edition. Of, yeah, that of, one, of that, that one bit, I but, knew. I don't know why, why I know Steven Silas, but I think because with a lot of these other teams, I guess the the Pacers are still a pretty good team, but a lot of these other random coachy teams are more, they're in the news a little bit less. So for some reason, the Rockets being, I guess, more covered allowed me to know Steven Silas was the coach, but um, yeah, sorry, man. Yeah, no, no, it's all good. Uh, but I still don't know the, I still don't know who, I still don't know who the Raptors coach is, even though you said it before Bjorn Bjorgensen or something like that. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's something I literally cannot remember. You don't know either. You don't yeah. know either. Uh yeah, All and then right. we could kind of go to OKC's coach, and you're just like Marky D right there. Uh, that's that's what I'm referring to him as, Mark Dalgonil. Now he's Thunderman. That's one yes. bit we're keeping. That's Thunder- that's one fucking that's bit we're keeping. <laughs> Thunderman, we're is- keeping that. Yep. So getting back to Houston, uh, John Wall kind of back and healthy-ish, uh, showing some things in the preseason like. That's nice to see uh, after like sure. all his injury concerns. Uh, Christian Wood uh, pick up from the Detroit Pistons, who a lot of people were like kind of excited on and excited about with like the level of produ- production he showed uh, last year uh, with Detroit. He's that small. Like, I think he's a perfect small ball center for Houston um, in the system they, they would like to run. Like, he is that guy that's a lot bigger than uh, P.J. Tucker, can rebound the ball pretty decently, and he can score fairly well. Um, and DeMarcus Cousins' uh, reunion, Kentucky reunion with John Wall, like, it just seems like there's a lot of, like, look to, like, oh, the good old days of nostalgia with uh, – with like what could have been for some of the the NBA careers of John Wall and and DeMarcus Cousins there and yeah. Bruno Cabocolo 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 he's gotten some minutes in preseason and it seems like he might be playing uh that from the the France Rashilla thought of the NBA draft of two two years of two years away from being two years away is uh is kind of finally here i think this might be his fourth or fifth season um in the league uh looking it up right now it is his sixth nba season so um yeah it'll be uh interesting to see what he can do but other than that i honestly with this team it's all really dependent on whether harden harden stays or not and that's i think going to be the interesting balance and i wonder like whether a dark horse team that doesn't we we haven't really heard of kind of shows up or pops up out of nowhere to kind of offer 
um, something for Harden. But I'm very interested to see what type of package um, Harden gets back because he can, like, he's MVP candidate every single year. Like, he should be getting back, like, a ransom for like yeah but i think i think for some reason a lot of these teams given i think other than maybe like the nets or whatever given the fact that they might not be able to re-sign him and just given the idea that you're going to have to pay or he's going to end up being paid so much money down the line and there seem to be concerns about how his game's going to age you are right that that is definitely true, but it seems like for some reason this was the place where the buck finally stopped on like these immense trades for these superstars. I think you'll get traded for Simmons and to to the Sixers, but that's my prediction at this point. Ooh. But um, oh, but we'll see. Uh, yep. So okay, I talked a lot about the Rockets, so so I won't continue on there. I think with these last three teams, we kind of get, last four teams, we start to kind of get into the dregs a little bit. Which is funny because in the West there's still not bad teams, right? And given that, I actually, I actually just for the first time ever switched my pick mid, um, mid pod, mid pod. Yeah, I was gonna take the Spurs, but I'm actually taking the Timberwolves instead. And, and here's okay. why. Got it. And here's why. It kind of continues my gut, my gut feeling type thing, like. My, not gut, my like, yeah, no, it is my gut. Like, my brain tells me, like, okay, the Spurs aren't going to be, like, that good, right? But they're going to be, um, I'm sorry, I got a text about fantasy football and my, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Someone saying they're going to Harry carry themselves because Connor didn't play tonight and they lost their game because of that. But, um... <laughs> but uh, I'm taking the, the, the Spurs. The Spurs, like my brain was telling me, like, all right, the Spurs, like, obviously aren't a particularly exciting team. They're not going to be that good. But like, they're returning the same cast of characters. They're going to be solid. Lamarcus, like, and DeRozan, they are what they are at this point. They're never going to light the world on fire. But like, they'll probably be okay. And they like last year they were in the fight for the eighth seed, whereas the Timberwolves really weren't, right? So why not just kind of pop? You know, they'll they'll just stick. sure they're going to be rebuilding, but they're going to play hard every night. Blah blah blah. I'll take the Spurs. But then I I thought like I kind of started to have this. It's almost like an invasive thought like that I started to have this afternoon while I was thinking about this podcast and it was about Carl Anthony Towns. And it was just this idea of like, if the Timberwolves don't get good at some point, Carl Anthony Towns is going to ask to get traded. And I just kept thinking that over and over and over again, kind of. And I just feel like this year, I I think and you have said this before on the podcast. I feel like it's been a recurring like dark horse trade candidate for us, but for some reason I feel like if this year things go if they don't show some sort of as now that they're going to have D'Angelo Russell like for, you know, the, the it's going to be a, a full year of D'Angelo Russell, like Edwards has You know, it's going to be hard to integrate him onto a team like this and, like, have him necessarily show stuff right away. But you have a number one draft pick. You have Carl Towns. You have 
D'Angelo Russell, who's like certainly not my favorite player in the world, but like that should be enough to boo you past like the Spurs. And if it's not, like I I think shit's gonna hit the fans. So I don't know why that's a great case for me taking them here, but I guess my idea is that like because I think they need to show something this year, otherwise things are going to fall apart. I'd rather take them than the Spurs where like, I think if they just fall into the rebuilding mode, they're going to be willing to just kind of ride it out. Uh, Maybe trade like LaMarcus at the deadline and you know, whatever. Yeah. I definitely could see your thinking um, on that. It's uh, I, I, I think Minnesota has the potential to do things like, they're not going to try to be like, they're not going to try to lose. Like this is a team that's going to be motivated to win. Like, especially from, from front office to this coaching staff. It's not like one of those seasons. They're like, okay, we got to bring, bring along some of these guys. Um, Towns is at the point in his career where he needs to kind of show something um, in terms of being able to like, move the ro- like move this roster and move this team um to a point where like hey we're pushing for the playoffs like could you imagine like three seasons ago or whatever when they had Jimmy Butler when they had all those pieces together and now it's like this is what they are now and yeah like the excitement of playoffs for them and they had you know they were the number one pick last year Anthony Edwards is is in the fold now and whether or not he does things. Um, hopefully someone like Ricky Rubio is able to kind of stabilize some of the younger guys there, um, which is kind of wild, uh, a wild ride of the NBA that Ricky Rubio is on, that he's on the team that drafted him and then like is back, which is wild and weird. Um, and kind of just shows like all the player movement that can happen in the NBA. Um and I was shocked that you didn't mention Maryland great Jake Lehman on this team as well. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I didn't mention Sticks for the Suns either. I didn't mention I know. Sticks, which is a very funny story I read on Twitter today about about uh, about um, about Jalen Smith. Was that so? Two Maryland basketball players, Aaron Wiggins and um, Daryl Morcel, room together and. Um, Daryl Morcel had this quote was like, yeah, uh, Jalen like looks pretty short on TV. Like, I don't know if it's that <laughs> he's just like everyone in the NBA must be really tall because he looks like kind of short. <laughs> so I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. No, that um, is pretty funny. And then, um, but anyway, I'll... yes, you're right. Maryland great Jake Lehman. Um, we love you forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> I will uh, touch upon the San Antonio Spurs before we get into our last picks of the night. Okay, so you're Um, taking the Spurs next? I am taking the Spurs. uh, I mean, it's like one of those teams, Pop. I think it could be a value pick. Like, they could be the eighth seed. Like, like in a – everything would have to break right, but it could happen. DeRozan, Aldridge, like, DeJounte Murray. Like, they have some guys. Like, I – I think the worry is if they start like being like, all right, we're going to just kind of move all in on uh, trading some of these pieces. So we'll trade Aldridge. We'll trade DeRozan. Like then it starts being like, okay, this team could be the worst team in the West. Um, But 
as currently constructed, um, like they have a shot at being competitive. Like you always have a shot with pop at like challenging for a possible playoff seed, like eighth seed. And especially with the playing tournament, everything like that, you just never know. So, uh, I think there'll, there'll be pop, uh, motivation there from pop, I think, uh, to kind of prove it a little bit with this team. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't overall like the direction they're going in. Like if it's, if we're taking, thinking like big picture and everything, um, it just seems like this team is like nineties version of like what a team was. And I, it's like not a current NBA team, which is weird. No. Like, yeah, yeah. You're right. And it, and it's just like it doesn't fit the style of the NBA going counter. And you would think like Spurs teams are this like Spur the Spurs organization has been known as like this innovative organization that kind of zags when everyone zigs and does the opposite of what everyone does and is on the is is very forward thinking in their in their trends and and being the trendsetters. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if this is the trend they want is this want to set in terms of being like, all right, we're taking a lot of mid range jumpers. Um, even though there is a lot of access there in terms of people allowing teams to shoot mid range jumpers. Um, it's, uh, it doesn't seem like it's the recipe to win, especially with the modern NBA. So I'm not sure how far that takes them, but I, that's pretty much my spiel on the Spurs. Are you leaving me with OKC? Yes, I'm taking the I'm taking the Kings. So yes, I guess it's I mean, with the Kings, with the Kings, it's just kind of like they're obvious. I I think I mean no, the the Wolves or the Spurs could be worse than the Kings. Like there is some there's some I guess room for growth here because it's funny I kind of liked the Kings going into last season and you look at their roster and it's not like it's that much different than it was last year like their starting lineups like Darren Fox, Heald, Harrison Barnes, Bagley and now Hassan Whiteside like Halliburton could be something I mean they kind of don't really have much of a bench but like it's not the worst roster in the world. They're just, they just seem like a team that's a little, I think bringing in Halliburton shows that they're going to kind of, I think, start to sink back. And I mean, you never know with the Kings because they always seem to kind of look like they're going towards rebuilding and then decide they don't want to do it anymore and try and go towards the eighth seed. And then it doesn't work and then repeat. But it seems like to me, the Halliburton pick signaled that they're going to be content to kind of go in the rebuild mode here. I'll be interested to see how Fox and Halliburton are able to kind of play together in their minutes. Last year, I was very hopeful that Fox would maybe take kind of a leap into a, you know, kind of into make a leap akin to say like a Devin Booker, you know, uh, I don't know who else he would kind of say, who else you would equate that to but like uh Jason Tatum in another way you know that kind of player that that shows some promise and then levels off and then maybe kind of is able to grow into that all-star caliber of player and I haven't completely given up on that for him but it just seems like it's stagnated a little bit of late and he's kind of just settled into this I'm a good NBA point guard mold um 
Luke Walton as a head coach, it's just like, I think it's over at this point. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he's the first coach fired this, this year in the NBA. Um, and I think they just, this year is going to mostly be about kind of just like figuring out what you have in Bagley, figuring out where Fox is at and figuring out where, what you have in Halliburton and like looking to, to get value for a guy like Buddy Heald if you can. I'm not even sure you can. Um, I'm sure given all that, they're going to like trade for James Harden or something like that, trade like Darren Fox or James Harden. But um, there's really not much more to say there. I mean, it is kind of funny. I feel like I'm giving them a little bit of short shift because I feel like compared to say like the Cavs in the East, they're eminently more watchable than than the, oh, the sure. basement dweller East teams. But given that the nature of these drafts is that we kind of run out of steam at the end, I think that's all I have to say about the Kings. Yeah, for sure. They are definitely a lot more interesting compared to some of the East teams. But, uh, yeah, it just, it's just tough to be competing in the West with all the other teams, especially just because from top to bottom, it's a little bit more well-rounded that when you get to the bottom here, and I'm going to talk about the OKC Thunder for maybe a minute um, um, and where Thunderman leads this team, I it's, it's just harder and harder to like see avenues for some of the bottom-dwelling West teams to like, like their it's hard because I think some, some of these organizations like the Kings are like, we've been wanting to compete for the longest time, but just because of how competitive the West is, it's just so hard to get to a position to be there because we need a certain caliber of player. Um, Whereas like, I think in the East, it's a little bit easier to maybe you know, maybe rack up a couple of a couple more wins just with the way the schedule works out. But with all that being said, OKC, um, my favorite player of the playoffs last year, Lou Dort, um, he introduced himself. Um, like that was fun. Uh, Lou Dort, like a lot of these guys, like <laughs> in the in the seven game series that they had, they got some playoff experience, which yeah. is like yeah. like a really positive thing for a team that is probably going to be the worst team in the West. Like that normally never happens. Like someone like Darius Baisley, who took a very circuitous route to the NBA. um, He ended up playing like 10 to 15 minutes a game in the playoffs last year. Um, Someone like Shea got some really good um, playoff experience. Um, So like a lot of the young guys that they, maybe are looking to build around slash keep around for a little bit of time um, longer than for maybe what Sam Presti is willing to keep any player like Ricky Rubio was there for maybe a minute. Um, Like I, I think it'll be interesting to see which types of players um, Presti values, or if he's just kind of going all in on the, the draft pick uh, thing that he's really just kind of capitalized on Um, how, how invested is Al Horford in this team, George Hill. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see that. Like, because a a team, yeah. 
They yeah, have a I'm sorry. I didn't that... mean to cut you off. Yeah. Oh, no, my no. God. Keep going. Keep going, no, bud. Keep going. I was going to just say, they have a couple of players that could be semi-useful for, like, yes, playoff. Exactly. Um, And I wonder, like, how much value, like, someone like Presti, who's been able to utilize, hey, if you attach a first-round pick with the player, we'll send you this guy. So I wonder how far Presti's going to take that with this team. It seems like Shea is the guy that they won't really give up anyone for unless it's, like, but even if it's a star player that becomes available, like, I doubt they even try to give him up for that because this team doesn't seem like it's in contention to even move move in that direction but someone like George Hill can be useful for a playoff team or and Al Horford so I, it seems like moves can be made here in the future yeah for like being that kind of I, I was just gonna when I was interrupting you multiple times I was just gonna kind of make the point that and I like I don't know just it's like the Cavs again I guess the Cavs do have like some not really, though. I guess the point I was trying to make is, like, for kind of this pro forma team we assume is going to be a basement dweller, they kind of have, and as you outlined, pieces comparatively. Where, like, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if, like, maybe even at the beginning of the season they, they overachieve a little bit, and then as Thunderman kind of eases into playing the young guys and, you know, kind of seeing what they have a little bit more then they start to kind of tail off. But at the end of the day, I'm, I would say I've always – I really like Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, he's kind of like a – it's kind of like in that Trey Young zone of like someone who I know isn't going uh, – Trey Young as compared to Luca is like Shea Gilgis-Alexander as compared to – I can't think of a, a metaphor. But, you know, a player who like I know may never like – reach the high heights of some other players in their kind of zone, but I just enjoy, or in their kind of class, but I enjoy watching them play more than the other players. So I take to them and seeing what Shea Gilgis Alexander is kind of able to do now that he got to study under Chris Paul for a year and be that second guy, like as that lead banana type. And I think Horford will kind of feel, he probably will only play 25 minutes a game, but he'll probably be able to fill that role in some respects, you would hope, as like that mentory type for him. Um, so, you know, it's not all bad with the Thunder, but at the end of the day, you're right in that this is a team that's sort of just playing out the spring, playing out the string as they move to whatever Presti's phase three or whatever of the master plan actually is. Totally agree. So, we have concluded this NBA preview podcast. 2.38.18. Call, we well, did talk a little bit before we got on the phone, but... We we did talk a little bit, Andrew, but we can't close out the podcast. No, of course just, not. Of course just not. Just yet, because, like... What do we got? I mean, at this point, we got to go to three hours. Um, well, the reason why I want to like we're not done is because we got to give our finals picks and this is like oh, i feel like tradition hell. we have yeah. i feel like we have to give our finals picks before the season starts um just so we have them on record i believe last year we were both wrong in choosing the champion because we're so heavy on the clippers um we both missed uh we both missed i mean neither of us got 
Miami neither or the Lakers. Yeah. yeah, neither of us got either finals team correctly. So, so it just kind of – you can take this with a grain of salt, but it just kind of – But on the other hand, we were both very time. high on the – we were both very high on the Raptors the previous year and that – so so we've had – we've hit it. I don't think we preseason picked the Raptors, but I think we both picked the Raptors going into last year's playoffs. So, so yeah, we've had we read it growth. early. We read it early on. So, Andrew, I am putting you on the spot. As of today – December 21st, before the season starts, who is making the finals and who's winning it all? Um, I just made a wild decision. I really had not thought of who I was. I knew I, I, I'm going to stick with the Clippers and pick the Clippers to come out of the East. I literally had not thought about who to pick until literally the second um, last year, I picked the Milwaukee Bucks and kind of lived to regret it. I don't really feel like picking them again. Um, I'm going to pick the the Los Angeles Clippers to win the title in six games over the Philadelphia 76ers. I think wow. they're going to trade. For, I think they're going to trade for James Harden, and I think they're going to make the finals. Wow. That is that um, was it. Uh, I shouldn't have done. I feel like literally, like when you get like when you black out drinking and you wake up the next day <laughs> and you're like in the moment it felt so good, but you're like, what the fuck did I do? Like I'm, oh, I'm a fool. Wow. I think I just did that, but you know what? Fuck it. I'm not taking it back. I I would want to check the odds on, on on that type of matchup to see what you could get out there uh, for that. That is a good. That is a good. That is a good question. Uh, we we will try and look into that and and mention it the next time we talk. So I am actually going. I'm going with my heart here a little bit. Um, I'm going Clippers. Oh. Yeah, and I figured that I, and, was where you were going. And um, you know what? I'm going. Should I just do it and go? Am I am I along <laughs> this going along this jer- drunk journey with you and blacking Nets out? Over, Nets and seven. Nets and seven. Uh, wow. Why not? Yeah. I feel like we've just literally taken any credibility we've built up over the years did and we? just absolutely destroyed it. Did we? Well, I mean, yours was more realistic than mine was, I guess. I guess, I think we just illuminated the East is just such a weird thing to predict with with the Bucks having never really like the Bucks are probably the most common pick, but I think after that it's it's such a shit show that like I, I don't think it was uh, it's that crazy. I think the Nets I, aren't that crazy. The Sixers might be, but but the yeah. Nets isn't that crazy. I think it also illuminates too by your finals picks that the NBA is still in this like there yeah. still hasn't been that team yet like for all the unless it's unless it's the Lakers and we're just too blind to see I I will add that caveat but but That's I agree with what, what you're about to say. say and we'll let you finish saying it yeah no, no in terms of maybe it's just one of those like. There hasn't been that team yet, and unless it's the Lakers, which I was about was gonna say in terms of like maybe it's just because we've built up so much hate for the Lakers that we yeah. just don't want it to be them, and it it really is them, and 
they're 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 the team to beat this season and i think a lot I, I would say a lot of people would probably put their money on the lakers to win in the finals yeah but um yeah i i think it's a little bit more fun this way but having um, listened but having listened to i will say just on the clippers point having listened to some nba podcasts and read some previews mostly in preparation for this there is still a fairly strong contingency of people who think the Clippers will like that was it. I don't, I agree with you to some extent, but I think we're not alone at least in clinging to the Clippers for one more year. Yep. At least until. So July, are we going to make an MVP? Are we going to make an MVP? Are we going to make an MVP pick while we, yep. yeah. While, while we're, we're here? here. Yep. Exactly. So you go first for this one. I went first want, for the you other You want one. me to go first? Yeah, okay. I'm gonna look up odds while while you do that. Um, are you going with Luca? I'm going with Luca. Um, I just think if if we are saying he takes like that leap, and and I think at this point it's not so much like what he does on the floor necessarily, like in terms of like individual stats. But if his team can perform marginally better in terms of like getting to like the three or four seed, or even like, like let's say if they got to like the three seed um, in the West, like I think that does enough for his like case in terms of candidacy um, and pushing him forward. Because on the floor, like he's averaged, I think, 29, nine and nine basically. So like, yeah. like he has like all the traditional numbers that you would want out of an MVP candidate. It's just more about like whether or not he can propel the team forward a little bit more. Um, And I, I I wonder if NBA voters are a little bit more hesitant to give it to someone like him because they gave it to someone like Westbrook who statistics wise performed really well, but his team wasn't at like hadn't performed traditionally as well for an MVP player to be on, if that makes sense. So I wonder if NBA voters are a little bit more hesitant to give a, a team that's like sitting in the four seat four spot in the West um, an MVP like vote or whatever. For yeah, no, I I I agree with that. I mean, over the years that hasn't really been been the case. Uh, James, uh, fuck me, not James Harden, Russell Westbrook being kind of, kind of the one exception. And it's in that mode that I've kind of started to think about this stuff. Like in, I agree with, and that's why I would say, I think Luke is a fine pick, but he's actually the favorite. And I think given what you mentioned, him being the favorite is a little bit much for me because I think they'd have to get to three. I think if they get to the three seed and he's putting up those kind of stats, he makes it. But um, I'm not sure the odds are there, given that like, I didn't realize I think he, he would. was the favorite, though. Yeah, he's mm, that's interesting to me. He's at plus 400. Giannis is at plus 425. Curry at plus 500. Uh, LeBron James Curry, plus 700. Yeah, Davis plus 700. Harden plus 800. I'm not taking any of those guys. I'm going with kind of like you just kind of outlined that idea here, right? Of like, generally it's from one of the top, like two teams. 
I think there's going to be honest fatigue this year just because yep. of like that point we outlined of like they've already done this multiple times. He did it again and they kind of gave it to him again, but I don't see them. He deserved it last year. Don't get me wrong, but I just don't see them falling for it. Quote unquote again, even though I think it's certainly legitimate. I Are just, I don't know. I think I, you're going with, I don't know if who you think I'm going with, but I'm like, I picked the, the, the Clippers to finish first. Why don't I just pick Kawhi and I'm picking Kawhi. Okay. He would That's be plus 900. Think, yeah. You think I was going to say LeBron? Dame? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not Dame. Say? No, I LeBron? Gonna, no, I thought you were going to – you were thinking about maybe going for Kevin Durant possibly. But, I uh, did – Durant was my second choice. Durant was my second choice because I think if the Nets were the one seed and we both like them to probably be the one seed if the if the, um, if the if the Nets – if the fucking – Bucks or not, uh, if they're not the one seed, Durant was my second choice. But I'm going with Kawhi because I just like this idea that, like, I can just play the scenario in my head where, like, the Clippers are the one seed. They're on like the Vengeance tour, and he plays. He plays more back. He has to play more in order to get it, which is probably why it's a bad pick in in some total but i could just see that narrative playing out and nothing else nothing else here is that appealing to me i think i think ad would be another good pick too i think you picked him last year if the lakers kind of keep rolling i wouldn't be surprised if ad was a guy but um but yeah i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with Kawhi. so Kawhi and luca there you go what a deal and and i just think like the Kawhi pick makes sense the one, the like, you reading out the odds there for a couple of those players, like, I am surprised at, like, some of the players and how high they are. Well, um, I want, so Curry, I just want to say, Curry you seem surprised yeah. by Curry. So Curry yeah. was, but remember, like, it kind of goes to that point I was making before. Curry was the second favorite after after Giannis last year also. I think there's a contingent of people who just think, like, he will go for, like, 33 a game, basically. Hmm. And that would be the – and you he leads them to, I guess, like, the sixth seed or whatever, and they just give it to him because he's one of the best point guards of all time. You know, it's almost like a legacy slash comeback narrative. If he, but he right, has to right. put up monster numbers. But, but it, I, I agree with you though. I think that's way over. Like, if I could short that stock out of anyone's here, I would probably yeah. pick that one. I'd probably like pick him. that. And then normally, Horton at plus eight hundred would look enticing, but just based on the fact that he will get traded mid-season, probably doesn't. You know what I mean? That narrative that probably won't yeah. work. Also, yeah, I think so. Yeah, the best narrative is probably the Kawhi Revenge Tour, Luca prop like taking the next yeah. step, and then you know I could see the KD thing too, like new team coming back from injury. I think that's a possibility as well. But uh, yeah, it, I am very excited for this NBA season to get going. Um, it is pretty wild to think we're starting out. Uh, a couple of days before Christmas, have those primetime Christmas games, which will be really fun to watch this week, um, which is crazy to think about. That'll be fun. 
um, watching football and everything like that. Yeah, so, the football and basketball combo is pretty. I don't know if that happens. I'm sure that happens every few years just based on the timing of things. But I don't know. I feel like it'll hit especially different this year for whatever yep. reason. Yep, exactly. So uh, NBA is back, baby, and I'm, I am definitely ready for it. Um, and I think a lot of people are ready for it. So, Andrew, thanks again for coming on. Hey, man. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, can you – we just kind of last minute, I I was able to, through my friend Evan, put together a fantasy basketball league oh, so, are, that you yeah. are going to be joining. So, um, so we'll and see I what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I will note to podcast listeners that are still listening, which is bravo to you at this point. Um, it, I am terrible at fantasy football or, or basketball. Um, and uh, we, like, I feel like I get too like into the weeds about like that player doesn't fit my team which doesn't yeah like that doesn't matter for fantasy basketball at all um so I'm gonna have to do a little bit of research and maybe we'll give our updates to fantasy basketball or fantasy basketball sure. league that no one will care about but us. no of course um, not I haven't so. done it since high school so I'm excited to give it another try it feels like it's never quite had the luster that fantasy football has but you know we'll give it a go okay right. wrap it up Kev I'm sorry for cutting no it's all good it's all point. good it's all good uh so Andrew thanks again for coming on I am eternally grateful that you've been able to uh been on this podcast for what three straight seasons of the nba so we can talk about it so um always awesome to have you on um and we will talk somewhat soon probably as the nba gets going or if some big news drops uh with any future trades so um andrew thanks again for coming back on no problem anytime